0: Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the Benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitofBlueSC.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome to Mike Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, it is both a distinct honor and a pleasure to welcome my next podcast guest to the microphone, mic drop podcast. He was a U.S. Navy SEAL for 11 and a half years. He did three combat deployments. He's earned three bronze stars with Valor, one of which was recently upgraded to a silver star. He has an Army Commendation Medal with Valor from the 1st to the 506th in Ramadi. He's the owner of Never Settle Consulting, which is a leadership and now also apparel company. He's a leadership speaker and instructor and also the director of FTX's for Echelon Front. That's the company owned by Jocko and Leif. He is a husband and a father, and JP actually stands for Ginormous, and that's with a J package. And ladies, I can assure you he is not fucking afraid to use it. Welcome to the stage, JP Donnell.
2: <laughs> well, I will have to say that is one of the most unique introductions I've had. Appreciate you having me out here, bud.
1: Well, I appreciate you making the time to come out. I know uh, after listening to the the episode of you on on Jocko, I figured there's no way I'm going to be able to to compete with a with a serious introduction uh, to the manner with which he did. So I wasn't even <laughs> going to fucking try it. But uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming out here. It's it's uh, it's amazing how many Texas frogmen there are nowadays. So awesome. um, and it's fucking great that uh, that you live as close as you do we need to certainly need to take better advantage of that but uh, absolutely um, one of the things uh, i like to start out with well first of all uh, before i guess before we jump into the lightning round is that you brought some uh, some jocko tea and some strike force energy yes. gel packs i'm going to i'm going to christen this bitch right now
2: not, i already gonna, had one on the way but i'm going to have another
1: and so uh, I know that I appreciate you bringing the goodies. And no, I'm not getting fucking paid to do this. So don't even start. <laughs> well, uh, if I
2: would have had any of the, the canned discipline go from, from Origin, they, those come out next month. Yeah. Those are insanely good. No, I would I have brought those. You. So so. I'm, I'm
1: trying Jocko Tea with force Lemon. It's an Arnold Palmer, right? Yes. healthy Arnold Palmer. It's really good. God damn, I'm going to get drunk off of that. <laughs> All right, it's good shit. I appreciate you bringing yeah, it. So uh, first, I'd like to start out with just some bullshit questions and uh and then go from there but uh do you have a dream car are you into cars uh i i do like cars um uh, what's what's jp's dream car a 69
2: super sport camaro
1: is that right yeah what do you think the the new the new zl1s the the new camaros those are pretty fucking bad yeah
2: they're awesome they're legit i just but they're not a 69 i want an old muscle car you know we had when i was um in high school we had a 67 camaro you know it was the first year of the camaros yeah and Absolutely loved it. Um, you know, parents ended up having to sell it, and uh, I've always wanted—I've always wanted another. Just yeah, and I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to be matte black.
1: Just fucking it's mean, be legit. Yeah, <laughs> nice. That's good shit. Favorite cheat meal. <laughs> Favorite cheat meal.
2: Well, clearly I've been having a lot of those lately, but um, I like to go with the family. I like to go to Chewy's. No, oh, yeah, uh, Mexican restaurant Mexican, here in Texas, yeah. and I get the Shirley's goo. It's just basically rice. Uh, there, there's a few different ways you could take that. Yeah, Shirley's yeah, exactly. goo. Is yeah, that yeah. what you said? It's I'm a, not sure if I want to
1: taste Shirley's goo. Yeah, no, it's rice,
2: <laughs> uh, fajita chicken, and uh, nacho cheese.
1: No shit. Yeah,
2: or it's their queso. Their queso, not nacho queso.
1: So you, you like the way Shirley tastes? Is that what yeah. you're saying? All right. Uh, what's your best hazing story from the teams? Or even Echelon Front. I don't know how you guys do it. You guys left yeah, no, each other? You're no slapping, hazing, each other? no hazing.
2: I think one of the fun... Well, I mean, one of the funnier ones was when my first platoon, my sister platoon, Charlie platoon, they made one of their new guys... He, had always, he was like a good-looking guy, and he always got hit on by girls whenever we got on the road. And so to... Just to make that more difficult for him, they made him sh- shave the top of his head, but leave everything else. And he had to wear a hat.
1: The old man halo? Yes, the old man halo.
2: And then we'd be out of the bars or wherever. And if he was talking to some chick, they would like do Rip something. And he, at that point in time, it didn't matter. He had to take the hat off and continue <laughs> on with the conversation. I always thought that one was hilarious. And then our second workup, they made Biggles carry a big, like, life-sized stuffed bear with him out to the bar and he always had to keep that with him at all times
1: like the movie fucking ted or whatever that something
2: like that yeah except for the bear was (laughs) the size of like my kid like it was huge
1: oh shit the uh with the with the fucking the halo story like with the right chick i think that would actually help him get laid I mean, she's got a sense of humor that's yeah she's got a sense of humor but if she's hot she probably doesn't have one so yeah most likely not uh favorite pistol SIG 226, same still one we carried. The old school. Is that what you're rocking most of the time? I still have that. No
2: That's all I carried, obviously, in the teams. Yeah. And then I got one for personal use. And, uh, I mean, I've, I've shot hundreds of thousands of rounds through that one no over shit. the years. And yeah. then, I mean, but now the, the new SIG 320, I have a full size and a compact. I love that gun. Yeah. And it was hard to go from the 226 to the 320 because I was just, I mean, the 226 is old faithful, right? Yeah. She is yeah. an amazing gun, reliable, doesn't break. I mean, it's insane the amount of wear and tear I put through that gun and yeah. had no issues. But one of the things... Um, yeah, I was talking with Dom Rosso, and he was talking about shooting and everything. He's like, that's why guys like the Glock and the 320 is, and this is years ago, we talked about it. We we're having a little debate back and forth, is your trigger pull is always going to be yeah. the same. Uh, it's the same
1: yeah. every single time. So Yeah, I was just going to say, I, the, what I don't like, the only thing I don't like about SIG is the dual action. Like, you know, the the, the long long trigger and then the short one, you know, on single yeah. action. It's just, for me, it, it, after shooting a, a Glock, it just fucks me up, but...
2: I get it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, you know, but there's ways to eliminate that. Like you're doing presentation shots. So, you know, you bring your gun out, you bring it up. eye level. And as you're, you know, presenting them, pushing, driving that weapon out towards a target, you're also taking the slack out. If you do that enough times, you're not on target. And that's what screws people up is they wait to, until they're on target to start pulling the trigger. Yeah. And that's what that's what the issue is. But I, I obviously understand that you can be more efficient, faster, more effective yeah. with the 320s or yeah. or the Glock's.
1: Yeah, I mean for me, I guess I, I when, when I did a little bit and I didn't do much. I did a little bit of contracting work as I was getting out and uh teaching a little bit of pistol and rifle um and a lot of the guys that uh that I was working with shot Glocks and, and uh, you know, getting some some tutelage from those guys that had been contracting for a few years and, and had some some pretty handy fucking tips. Like I was sold. I, I, I transferred straight over the Glock and really haven't looked back since. I've tried a, a number of other platforms, but I just, I mean, to me, like the Glock 19, you just can't fucking beat it. You They're know? not but, bad guns. Yeah, but uh, most humiliating time or story as a SEAL?
3: Hmm.
2: Jeez. Second platoon doing our workup, getting ready to deploy to Ramadi. I go back home on leave. I get arrested up in Reno for fighting.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's a shocker. Yeah. You?
2: Yeah. Put some dude <laughs> in the hospital. Yeah, I, I dove in that story on other podcasts more deeper but um, you know I was I was defending my buddies and myself you know I've never gone out looking for fights you know but um, I I also just wasn't that one you know I definitely should have just chose a different route right you know just whatever Um, I was very lucky I didn't end up in legitimate like deeper shit jail for a year Yeah, the guy had to have like was in the hospital for a long time like they're they're uh, Want to do aggravated assault charges against me for what I did yeah. to the guy? Um, did but you tell luckily, him I wasn't was aggravated. all. Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't aggravated <laughs> at all. I was actually calm. But no, the guy was—he guy came at us. He attacked us. He had a bottle in his hand, and yeah. you know that was my kind of like my saving grace. Um, but that wasn't humiliating. The command was like, "All right, cool, whatever. We'll we'll fix this." Yeah. What was humiliating is eleven days later, I go home on leave for Christmas leave, and I get a DUI. Holy fuck! Yeah. So now. Well, it was a wet and reckless, right? And well, so no, it was a DUI. It got, I got it down to a wet and reckless. And so I have to come home off of Christmas leave. I am driving back to San Diego with knots in my stomach. I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. Like I am, I am complete, I am out of the Navy. Like this is, and I was also, I was humiliated and embarrassed for the fact that I had to go tell my leadership that, hey, I know you guys just had my back when I got in trouble. I went out and screwed up again, yeah. you know, and I look back at now being 35 and then I was 22. It's like, dude, what the heck? Yeah. And so that was probably the most humiliating is having to go tell your leadership that I just got arrested again for a DUI when yeah. I, I could have, there's so many other options.
1: No, I know. Well, so I mean, having spent enough time in the SEAL community and seeing other guys go through that, how the fuck did you get out of that?
2: <laughs> My leadership... My, lead, I went mean, Jocko was my again. task unit commander. Seth Stone was the Mark platoon commander, our LPO in chief. You know, and you know, we had I had good le- senior leadership at the command as well. And you know, I went and told them what happened, and you know, I remember the look at on all my leadership, but especially like Master Chief Presson, mm-hmm. and he was he was just like, "Damn it." Yeah. I mean, he just, damn at it, Bobby. He, well, you know, Preston's good old boy from Texas. And he was like, damn it, young man. He goes, expected more from you. Yeah.
1: That. Oh yeah. Dude, that. You're disappointed crushed, I'm not mad.
2: Yeah. That crushed me. Yeah. And the rest of my, and the rest of my leadership as well. And they said, okay, well, we're going to see what the outcome is. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up having to go do a, uh, at a chief re- review board to see if I got to keep my trident. And I was a couple rooms over, and at the time they're doing remodeling at SEAL Team 3, and I could hear them talk. Luckily, I could hear them talking. They're like, hey, we're going to hammer him. But a lot of guys were like, he's a good kid. Like, yeah. we want him on deployment. He screwed up, blah, blah. blah. And there were some like fleet chiefs that you know were attached to the command that were in that review board as well. And they're Which like, bullshit. You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah. And they're Don't like, get me started. You know, they were like wanting to crush me. Yeah. And I remember like Master Chief Yarbo and other guys were like,
1: yeah, bro's the Shut man. up.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no. This yeah. is, you know, this is what's going to happen. He's going to pay the man, for sure. Yeah. And I did, and I was on restriction for the whole rest of the time until we deployed. Yeah. And they basically were like, hey, we'll see how Ramadi goes for you, yeah. and then we'll readdress this when we come home from deployment. And I didn't know this until I was on Jocko's podcast, and he mentioned it. I guess he went to the command, and it was no, the up. leadership, and basically was like, I don't care what happens. He's coming on deployment. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. so luckily i had i just had good leaders that yeah. you know were like hey yeah he screwed up but we see value in what he can do in the teams yeah. let's let's work with them
1: well to me you know good leadership is half of it yes you know cuz to me like they don't they don't do that for an average dude either you know so i, I appreciate your humility uh, but you know, to, to me, that speaks volumes when you've got a guy like Jocko, a guy like Seth, rest in peace, yeah. um, you know, to, to go to bat for you in that manner and basically stick their fucking neck and reputation out on the line for you and say, you know, I don't give a fuck what he did. Like, he's he's that legitimate of a warrior. We're bringing him with us irrespective of, of what happened. I mean, that says a lot about you. So, I well, mean, that, that's fucking good shit.
2: I appreciate it. And, you know, you, you know, when you said, you know, Seth's name, rest in peace, it, it's, it's sad with oh, him being gone because – I mean, Seth was like my big brother in the teams, man. Like he helped me become a young frog man. We we went through SQT together. We went to SEAL Team 3 together. Uh, I mean, you were our SQT instructor. Yeah. And um, I just, he always did that for me. He did that for everybody. That's just, Seth was just that amazing of a guy where he was constantly looking out for guys and putting other guys first. I mean, that's what a a real leader is like, you know? And that's, I'm so fortunate to do what I do with, with Jocko and Leif now, I mean, because they've always been servant leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Have they always been perfect leaders? No. That's the beautiful thing about what we do is yeah. we're constantly trying to improve and improve those around us. And it's like, hey, learn learn from our lessons, learn yeah. from the mistakes we've made in in the teams and combat and working with other companies. And you know, it's unfortunate because you know Seth would have been with us. You know, yeah. he, he was if he would have still been alive, he'd be less than a year away from retiring.
1: Yeah, That's no, fucking like, tragic. Yeah, no, no other way to fucking to skin that cat yeah uh, on a lighter note what's the dumbest board game you've ever played
2: <laughs> the, the dumbest board game uh, i mean well i mean from my standpoint candy land but my daughters love it when i play with them right so <laughs> no, that's fucking great i guess that counters that out so candy land i'm oh, like whenever i play i'm
1: like i'm just hungry
2: this is ridiculous <laughs> like oh i got two gumdrops. blue yeah i got the drum <laughs> oh i have gotta go back to sorry now but the, yeah. dude, the the girls love it so yeah. it's
1: that's fucking priceless because that uh not that you were probably gonna ask but that's for me it's the same thing like my kids love that shit but uh it just makes me hungry and pissed off <laughs> um all right here's a here's a real barn burner do you like spam no it's disgusting I, I grew up on fucking spam and i i did want to bring up i'm not being paid by spam but there is a museum in austin minnesota dedicated to spam what that's it's, one
2: of the things spam. i hate about my first deployment we spent a little time in guam before we mm-hmm. went over to iraq guam and, and like Hawaii. you go to mcdonald's to get breakfast and they have spam like yeah. grilled spam for breakfast I, it's just
1: like go. fucking spam i my uh my mom god bless her um in a pinch would throw spam with rice aroni together like spam and rice fucking i mean how's that for fucking you make it you know she always made it but uh that was god I hated that shit you know up.
2: top ramen the, the yeah. we, we called them long noodles when were the kids were like <laughs> yeah. oh we want long noodles yeah. uh we were we were pretty i don't like to say poor anymore cuz what we've seen around the world like yeah. Poor is no, not poor. In, yeah, nobody but in this country. compared to the United States, right? Yeah. We, we, we were tight on yeah. our money yeah. growing up, and we used to do long noodles and hot dogs. So yeah. they would cook a hot dog in the yeah. microwave and then cut it up into little pieces and yeah. then put that in this uh, in the long noodles.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breakfast a goddamn champion. <laughs> That's no shit. Um, all right, and the, the last question I, I have to ask everybody is, what is your morning routine? Now, I know you travel a lot, so... Uh, you know, for the listener, if you could kind of break it down into a normal day when you're at home versus a normal day when you're on the road, what is, what is that? How how does JP start his fucking day? So normal day when I'm home, I, I start my day with,
2: uh, my alarm going off and... Way
1: too fucking early.
2: No, I'm not, I'm not that... You're not the 4.30 guy? No. I mean, I, I've that. never been that. Yeah. Now, when I'm on the road and I need to be or I'm doing stuff with the Echelon Front, absolutely. But here's the thing. like People are like, oh, you're not getting up at 4.30 like Jocko and, and Leif? And I'm like, well, A, I'm not Jocko. I'm not Leif. And B... I'm up sometimes until one or two in yeah, the morning I'm the like guess way. what I'm not waking up in two hours or yeah. three hours you know Yeah. Um, so alarm goes off when it's time for us to start getting the kids ready for school uh, my, my wife is amazing she, before I'm getting out of bed she has a cup of coffee on the nightstand for me Amen. so I, 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 I sit up in bed <laughs> I sit in bed and I, I, I scroll through my emails to see if yeah. anything, like, super important came through the night yeah. while I'm drinking my coffee and she's getting the kids ready. Yeah. And then I go to social media. I check my social media messages. Like, anything come through that I need to be aware of, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'll check my Instagram because I have a much greater following on Instagram and interaction there. So I'll check my Instagram messages. And then I'll check my Facebook business page. I'll check Twitter. And then I'll check my regular Facebook. And I'll just basically I'm scrolling through messages as you know, anything, what's going on or respond to text messages from like, I have buddies that like to
1: text me at two like, in the morning, yeah. you know, this is before like, you even piss. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, so then that's, that's what I kind of, I, I'll be able to get a good look at my gauge. Right. And then I, I look at my calendar on my phone, like, okay, what do I have today? Yeah. You know, what's going on? Like, what do I need? Like, Oh, do I have a, a conference call in five minutes? You know, you know, yeah. and so I, I'll go, th- I'll do all that stuff first if i'm on the road it's different i i I try to get a workout in in the morning when i'm on the road when i'm home my family and i that's our family time is we go to the gym together we go to jujitsu together so i don't go work out early in the morning when i'm home because i'm going to do that with my family now if i'm on the road i wake up get a workout in shower and get going Mm -hmm. i i don't i always have my clothes pressed an iron the night before yeah. because i've run into times where the iron didn't work right and now you're trying to run down the front desk and get a new iron and yeah. or the iron has a bunch of gunk in it and it's all crappy like so i always make sure my iron's clean i turn it on i hit the steam button a bunch of times to get all the Crap yeah. out of there from yeah. other people. God knows. And so I always prep the night before all my stuff yeah. for the next day.
1: Some some twisted fuck shot a load in the fucking in the in the steam <laughs> steam iron for you. Uh, no, that's that's fucking good advice. I know. Uh, you know, just having your shit ready. Like I, I do, kind of a similar thing. And like whether I'm traveling or here, like. Even something as stupid as like setting out, you know, supplements or shit that uh-huh. I take in the morning, like taking it out of the bottles and just setting it like I can just down it right away or whatever. It
2: but, drives my wife crazy because yeah. she doesn't like anything on the the, the countertop for the, in the bathroom by the sinks. Yeah. I have all my stuff out, yeah. right? It's like, hey, if it's out of sight, and that's a problem though with me is if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Therefore, yeah. I'm not going to remember to take my vitamins and supplements that I need to be taking no, if no. I don't see them. So I put them yeah. out. So it drives her crazy because you know, about once every three weeks, she'll clean up all my stuff and put it under there. Within two days, it's all back out there. Right? Like I have it stacked <laughs> up. It's good. To, yeah,
1: oh, that's fucking great what uh so in terms of childhood where where are you from? So I grew up in Sacramento California oh, shit. I
2: actually grew up in the same house that my dad grew up in
1: really yeah, fucking norcal huh yep uh, I, from your perspective uh you know there's like an, an an adage or a saying that you know live in New York, but not so long do you turn into an asshole live in Northern California, but not so long to you turn into a fucking pussy or whatever
2: huh I've uh, never
1: even heard that yeah, and you're from there yeah. Maybe I made it up. I don't yeah, know. Maybe you did. Uh, but I'm curious. Like I've been there a, a few times. It does seem like almost like fucking Disney World in terms of kind of the culture and, and how uh, laid back shit is. Like, uh, did that did that influence you or impact you growing up? I know it sounds like you came from a more meager means, but uh, you know, having traveled around the world and, and kind of looking back on it now. As something to contrast it, do you think that Northern California uh, ha- has that reputation for a reason, or do you think it's kind of bullshit?
2: I've literally never heard that because, really?
1: like, if I'm a dumbass, I guess. like,
2: no, was, I mean, Northern California has everything like, we have the mountains, we have lakes, we have rivers, we have streams, you know, we have farming. You know, I mean, you go to my grandparents, which is 45 minutes away from where we grew up, I mean, they'll have snow, right? They have four mm-hmm. distinct seasons. My grandparents woke up. And they would, you know, they had animals, you know, they had, you know, cows and horses and chickens and, you know, I had to get up early to go feed the horses and
1: so did and you grow up fucking and, with them a little bit, like getting to mess with animals? And, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd go and grab the eggs from chickens and, yeah. you know, and, and that's what, you know, my grandparents ate. Now, my grandfather was an old farmer from Nebraska. He was yeah. in World War II. Um, so, and he did construction his whole life ever since he got out of the military. My dad did construction, but northern california is very unique you know it has a just beautiful beautiful land and so like maybe you know that could be where that laid back attitude comes from but i never i mean with all the traveling i've done i mean if anything's more laid back it's where i lived in mississippi in the south for a while when i got out because i was like super slow living like slow pace like you know, there's no sense of urgency or, you know, people yeah. like just went through their daily routines. And yeah. um, so I, I've never really felt that from Northern California. I love to go back and visit. But I think also if you look at California as a whole, like just that state is just completely gone downhill yeah. from like the political standpoint no, and all horrible. the laws and just every. I feel bad for my family that lives there, everything that they have to deal with. But, yeah. you know, it's like Jocko, he <laughs> lives on the beach in san diego
1: yeah. he ain't leaving <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i don't know how fucking companies make it honestly especially starting out i mean it's one thing if you're an established you know enormous fucking corporation and, and you've got loopholes and whatever but like to start a small business in california no fucking way like yeah. there's no fucking way i would i mean that's the last place i would live but yeah uh that, that boggles my mind that uh, that a lot of friends of ours you know stay there because of the weather and the, and the whatever but to each their own yeah. um in terms of your childhood, uh, siblings?
2: Yeah, I have a younger brother, Corey, and a younger sister, Sarah. Uh, both of them grew up, them being my best friends. You know, we're all super close. Uh, Corey and I used to play Navy SEALs. He was actually the one that saw something about Navy SEALs first, and we used to watch— We had this documentary uh, that was talking about JFK and how, you know, the the SEAL teams were formed and the transition from the UDT teams over the SEAL teams. And, you know, we we used to watch that every weekend, right? We'd wake up and we'd have my mom put that in the VCR of what what they recorded. And we were just infatuated with the SEAL teams. You know, we used to actually, like tie up my sister as a hostage right <laughs> so she'd be in the backyard like like no shit like tied up in the shed or to a tree <laughs> and we'd Christ. go rescue her we like one guy would play uh, the enemy and like we'd go back and forth and we'd make my parents play navy seals with us yeah. like where they'd have to come find us and we'd go to garage sales and get the old you know camis and old gear the old h gear and the canteens yeah. and all that stuff from the old vietnam vets and yeah.
1: You know, it was funny. Um, I'm still reeling here thinking about uh, the issues your sister now has from being tied up. Fucking. <laughs> well, she's actually shot.
2: doing good. You know, she's about a year away from being a neurosurgeon. Oh, no shit. So, yeah, she, yeah. Uh, she's, her, yeah she's she gonna got her, she's going to go. Together, huh? Yeah, maybe she's like, I never <laughs> want to she's like, I want, I, you know, I'm going to make my brothers pay when yeah. I'm a neurosurgeon yeah, one no day, shit. which is good because then she can evaluate my brain one day yeah, and just no wonder she may have to. all the
1: wear and tear. Is, uh, as no shit, is your is your younger brother... um similar in terms of his background did he ever serve or
2: yeah so he went into the military uh with a contract to go to buzz like i did like mm-hmm. just shortly after me uh cory is one of the smartest people i've ever interacted with uh he was in second grade and was super bored in school it was like acing everything and they're like we think he should be tested right yeah. he went t- tested and he was going to this rapid learner school for kids that were like gifted and like <clears throat> rapid learners he was bored there as well Jesus. like that yeah, I know. And so um goes through that in elementary school. We go to junior high together. We're in high school together. Uh, it was cool because my sister was a freshman. Corey was a junior, and I was a senior in high school. All very close. And um, he goes into the military, and he... Uh, scores are the highest that you can on the ASVAB, and of course, you know the recruiters are like, oh, you need to go to the Nuke program. Yeah. You can become a Nuke. We'll give you the signing bonus, and then you can become an officer, and then you can go to Buzz as an officer. Yeah. Like they tried that with me, and I was like, no. Yeah. And then Corey, they were hitting hard because he was through the charge on his testing, and he's yeah. like, no, I want to go to Buzz like my brother. Like, if not, I'm gonna go find another rec- another recruiter. He's always been super like. Like, no, that's not what I'm doing. Like, if you're not going to help me, screw you. I'm like, I try to like work with people and yeah. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. do oh, no, Corey doesn't care. And so we, um, anyways, he's in a school. He's running on the beach doing the seal prep stuff with other guys. Tears his knee. He's going to have to have knee surgery. So he gets pulled or not pulled, but he's on hold. So he can't go to buds injured. Um, comes back on base with his buddies. They've been drinking. Gate guards bust them for underage yeah. drinking. And um, and then the next day, whoever was in charge, of, like, I can't remember like what it's called. You know the barracks that we lived in, A school? Like They call them different ships yeah. and divisions. I don't know, whatever. Um, whoever, like the LPO or the chief for that, was trying to get him, like, all right, who was with you? And he's like, it was just me. And yeah. they're like, who else was underage drinking with you? And Corey wouldn't say anything. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy because some of those guys are in the teams. Oh, at shit. Higher level commands within Not the damn. teams. And I never knew that. We no. never knew that until a couple of years ago. My, my wife and my dad were doing a catering for guys out at Shaw's as they come through tra- training. And they were catering their lunches and dinners. Uh, so the guys didn't have to worry about food. They literally just were able to focus on training. And one of those guys was, like, talking with us, and he, I knew him. Mm-hmm. And so I introduced him to my dad and, and wife, and he goes, y- your, your son is the reason why I'm in the teams. And my dad's like, hmm? And I even, I even I was like, what are you talking about? What do I have to do with it? Yeah, and he's like, no, Corey. And then he told the story that how Corey didn't roll on anybody No shit. took the brunt of the punishment. And then he got And at the time, because he was young, it was just like one of those weird things with the military. You know, I guess he got, uh, other than honorable admin separation from the Navy. Yeah. And so that was the end of his Navy career, which is oh, complete man. bullshit.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, but things happen for a reason. He knows that he understands that it's the same with me. You know, I should have been at other places in my career with the military and I just wasn't there and you know, things happen. Yeah. But, uh, so he, he, He's one of those crazy dudes that climbs cell phone towers to reprogram them, <laughs> no and he's a site foreman, so he runs all that stuff. So, no shit. Um, yeah, How you many can see this
1: jumps off of him
2: i've always asked him if i could that makes him nervous but dude like he he'll like facetime me sometimes up there just to say what's up because he's over like a huge value he's so high over these valleys you'll see helicopters flying below him god damn like he he has pictures of him and his buddies completely covered in snow and ice and they're up there trying to fix the cell phone towers and it's just like
1: that's got to be a decent fucking living
2: uh, yeah i think so i hope so yeah God. i'm always like bro i hope you're at least making this to be, and, he, and he he'll literally he'll work seven days a week for five six days or for five six weeks at a time jesus christ to get job sites done
1: damn that's fucking gnarly you yeah i ought to have him on the fucking show
2: oh dude he that would be awesome yeah. he's he's a, he's a crack up Chumba <laughs> Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free
3: for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
0: No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about
1: anywhere. All right, so he's doing that now. Your sister is about to be a fucking neurosurgeon. Yep. And she's
2: a mom and a wife, and she also was doing women's figure competitions. Oh, sure. You know, that's why I love when people are like, oh, you know, I can't do this, or they make excuses as they don't have time. And I'm like, yeah. my sister, this is before she met her husband. I was like, my sister was a single mom working two jobs, doing personal training to make ends meet and did figure competitions and got second and third place. Like shut up
1: (laughs) while she's, was she going to school for? Oh yeah. yeah, And going to school. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's like insane.
1: Jesus like how? Christ.
2: How do you do yeah, that?
1: sleep like 30 minutes a day. <laughs> Maybe. Jesus. Uh, yeah. How about mom and dad?
2: Mom and dad are awesome. I grew up with very good parents. Um, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money, but that didn't matter. That doesn't matter in life. Like yeah. that doesn't define like that you're going to have a good life or not. Yeah. And we, we my parents taught us to enjoy everything that we had. You know? Yeah. And, you know. And then also they also taught us like you never allow another human being to dictate what you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Like if you want something, go get it. Yeah. get to work don't steal it but yeah work earn it you know yeah. and enjoy it yeah. and um uh yeah they're just just great parents hard workers i mean there's a lot of times i remember my dad you know working construction you know, my mom taught separobics aerobics when she could outside of taking care of us kids and my dad did um, did construction you right yeah. so not, not a lot of money in the 80s and 90s for that but you know they always worked hard and there were times where my dad would come home from working construction all day long, spend some time with us kids, my mom, and then he'd go work in a kitchen for a couple hours somewhere. Oh, shit. Yeah. And some of those like 24 hour, like like Denny's or whatever those yeah. places were back in there. Yeah.
1: So. Is that something that you paid attention to as a kid, like, yeah. uh, and, and appreciated? Like, goddamn, my dad works his ass off. Yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, just watching how hard both my parents worked. Yeah. I mean, there was times where my mom would wake us up super early. And get us ready for school but we would actually go to the gym where she was teaching the morning aerobics yeah. classes and we'd sleep in the office where we would sleep in the yeah. daycare room yeah. and then she'd get us ready drop us off of school and then go back and teach classes all day long pick us up we'd go we spend yeah. time in the gym and yeah, i mean some people might like think you know what a, down but dude that was awesome you no. know what i mean and it, yeah. i mean that was my parents making ends meet they didn't make excuses they yeah. just made it happen always and that's something i've always remembered, always looked at. I mean, and my father-in-law and mother-in-law were the same way with my wife, you know, yeah. growing up. And yeah. that's one of the things I've always remembered is, you know, there's times in the wintertime, my dad had pneumonia and he'd be coughing up blood and he'd still have to go work mm-hmm. and frame eight, 10, 12 hours a day out in the cold. Yeah. Cause guess what? If he didn't work, we didn't get paid. Yeah. And so it's just,
1: yeah. But yeah, to me, I think you know a lot of parents, especially nowadays, with you know as, as comfortable as a society that we live in, I think have it just plain fucking wrong. Is that you know they they try to um, you know coddle and, and protect their their kids and and you know give them so much uh, from a resource and and you know attention standpoint that it, it not only spoils them but I think it teaches a shitty example. Yeah. I mean, to me, to, to hear that story that you share about, uh, you know, what your mom did with you, I mean, it, to me, if I'm putting myself in the child's shoes and and, and understanding, you know, how sponge-like children are and how mm-hmm. much they, uh, you know, view and, and pay attention and absorb things uh, that their parents do, I mean, that that's the biggest teacher is watching what their parents do. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if you've got parents that spoil you and fucking lay around and watch TV and whatever, like, you're going to emulate that, you know. Yeah. And to me, like, I know there's there's a lot of times where people look down on on situations like that or say, you know, that's fucked up that you're dragging your kids. Well, like, to me, like, that's the best upbringing you can have, you yeah. know, because it, it teaches discipline. It teaches hard work. It teaches, you know, you do whatever the fuck you have to mm-hmm. to, to make things happen. And there's just not enough of that, yeah. you know, I, I don't think.
2: It's cool because I... When I and I moved out here, we found a gym to do jujitsu, and my wife started training, which was so awesome just to, you know have my wife in the game and uh,
1: another reason it, to choke her out right
2: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, she got hurt, and, well, she didn't she had been dealing with an injury for about 10 years and it just flared up again It was her back and, right uh, Well, it's her back and her, and her like neck as well, you know she had some issues with that. So she had thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, TOS. And uh, hers was vascular and neurological. So they actually had to remove her first rib. Holy fuck. Yeah. And so, but you talk about things lining up and just God being awesome and putting us in the right place. Like we were trying so hard to be in the flower mound area. Mm -hmm. So hard. Like, because, um, uh, just for some other reasons, I'm not going to, Get into talking crap on another company yeah. on a podcast, <laughs> but I was trying to be in that area to help with a uh, with a indoor training mm-hmm. gun store CrossFit yeah. uh, places all under one roof, and I was gonna I wanted to be in that area so I could kind of help assist with some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, or, Frogman brother of ours, Dan Licardo, yeah, was, was there. And so I was really tr- trying to be in that area. Ended up finding a house out in the Keller Roanoke, uh, North Lake area. Yeah. Right. And so, all right, cool. Whatever. Well, so I'm like, well, I, I want to find a gym to do jujitsu, reach out to this guy named Ivan. Uh, he's, you know, does a lot of Combat his training with the SEAL teams. He's a black belt owner, Hoist Grace. He runs Hoist Gracie's business and, and stuff like that. And I was like, hey, man, do you know any good gyms in the area? He's like, yeah, Travis Luter. He's down in Fort Worth. Travis Luter, arguably for a long time, was one of the top three guys in the world for jiu jitsu. Yeah. Anytime he corners a fighter in the USC, Joe Rogan's all about Travis Luter. He's yeah. like, he's the best. He's the best. You know? So I was like, well, I know who that guy is. He's legit, but yeah. that's a 50 minute drive from where we live. And then he's like, hey, check out this guy, Paul Hallamay. He has a gym, peak performance, MMA. I was like, OK, cool. So we went and checked it out. Turns out that Paul and one of his other black belts actually came to the muster that we had in Austin sure. um, earlier that year yeah. and uh, to check out what we were doing with Echelon Front. So it just worked out great. It's 15 minutes from the house. We start training there. A the man is having those issues. They're like, hey, one of our black belts also works at this physical therapy facility. You should go check it out. You know, blah, blah, blah. Tell me you're with Peak, they'll take care of you. So we go there. Well, they were the only place in the last 10 years to actually properly diagnose Amanda. Everybody else was like, Oh, you have a herniated disc in your neck. You're gonna have to have neck surgery. Like, hey, you have a herniated disc, we're gonna do injections. Like they did all this stuff. Nothing worked. We go there, they find out that it's TOS, and it turns out the the number one TOS surgeon in the nation is based out of dallas No oh, and so he the, uh our, our doctor dr frith and 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 dan they reach out to this doctor and they're like hey like this is what's going on she's in a lot of pain we need her in and they got got her in for surgery like that and That's so she crazy. had surgery and now she's just recovered just now to start training again and she's yeah. still in a lot of pain you know yeah. it's going to take probably another year to be recovered because I mean think about it. her body's been dealing with that for 10 years. Yeah, it's like so adapted to it. Yeah, and yeah. so her muscles are all messed up. Her like her rear scapula doesn't fire. Like it's hard for her like she can't like do what I'm doing by b- pulling my shoulder blades back. Yeah. She can't do that without having pain.
1: Uh, yeah, I like breathing imagine. hurts. Like
2: yeah. breathing hurts for her. And I feel like an an asshole husband because there's times where I'm just like really breathing hurts like come on you know what i mean <laughs>
1: sensitive like, prick well yeah i was
2: because i just for me i couldn't I, it was really hard for me to comprehend yeah. that and yeah. then as we learned more and to see how tough she is it's just insane and yeah. so um
1: that's got to be difficult you know and seeing the the mother of your kids go through that and, and trying to juggle you know with your schedule and being gone and having to deal with all that shit i mean that's a lot gone all the time yeah
2: i mean it was and it was really hard it was really hard i mean i I love my wife, you know, like, and so uh, to see her dealing with all that and go with the pain. And, uh, even now there's still times where she's just like, you could just tell she's just wore out and it's just frustrating, Uh, but she's back on the right path. It's awesome. And our kids love doing jujitsu and we'll be at the gym and Amanda's now starting to train again. And it's the same thing. You know, we went off that tangent about her injury, but where I was going with that is we have the kids at the gym with us. Right. And even When they're done with their kids' class, they're at the gym watching and being around. And guess what? Their friends are other kids whose parents are in the gym. So, like this, their circle of friends and influence—that's that's that's where we want our kids to be making friends in the gym. Kids who are on the right path. Their parents are obviously in the game when it comes to health and fitness and taking Mm -hmm. care of yourself. And I have twin daughters who who are beautiful. Even if they weren't beautiful, I have daughters. My daughters will not be a victim. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I can promise you that yeah. like i refuse to allow that and then them doing jujitsu has built up their confidence aiden his confidence has gone through the roof uh he, i mean he's turning into a young man yeah. and and it's because of you know him yeah. getting older and because of the foundation that jiu-jitsu has laid and the instructors there for the kids program are insane yeah. like with me being gone all the time that that, that's the other male figures that my kids need men need to be in their kids lives Mm -hmm. men need to be in other kids lives and that's why i told all those guys there i'm like hey i'm gone all the time i expect you guys to be hard with my kids yeah i don't they are not going to be given anything i actually want to be harder for my kids to advance and get promotions than anybody else in the gym because i want them to learn those hard lessons and they're like okay cool
1: like (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, it's fucking great. I mean, that, that adage, it takes a village. You've heard of that one, right?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. I have heard that one that you made up. No, I'm just yeah,
1: the other fucking one <laughs> you pulled out of your ass. Um, yeah, I mean for sure. Like, you know, the, the, the whole toxic masculinity bullshit that, that gets spewed out there all the time. I mean, like for sure there's a, there's a, a balance and a happy medium like there is with anything, but you know, without a doubt, like men are men for a reason, women are women are, are are women are women for a reason, and and there's elements to both components of of a parent, and just other external influences that kids fucking need to see, yeah, uh, you know, from multiple sources to to get that good balance. I think, and that's great to hear.
2: You know, there. Um, I've done a couple of podcasts where we've talked about it. I was actually on a podcast called Order of Man. Yeah. 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 And so with yeah, Ryan. Ryan's, he, Ryan's awesome. Dude, he's got a great thing that he's doing. Yeah. And actually, just before we started this, my buddy Sal Frisella, who is the president of First Form Nutrition, mm-hmm. I was on his brother's podcast, Andy Fursella, the MF CEO project. Yeah. And be, since then, Sal and I have become very close buddies. Like, Sal is one of my very close bros, and he's getting ready to be on Ryan's podcast and that's what he's calling me about and it's just sad when you look around at society and see how men think it's okay to be weak and passive no men are supposed to be bold and courageous and you know I just I got on Amazon the other day because I was talking with a guy about you know he's raising his boys and he's like man I just it's hard you know and I was like yeah raising kids is gonna be hard it's never gonna be easy And especially boys, you know, men need to raise their boys to become men. And Mm -hmm. how do you do that? And so there's a really good book called Wild at Heart. Mm -hmm. And so I got on Amazon, I ordered five of those and I've already given out all five to Mm -hmm. other guys that have boys. And I'm like, read this book. And one of the guys from the gym that I gave to, I guess him and his wife scanned through it and his wife was like, please tell him thank you. Because that's not, uh, so think about that. Like, it's so rare that somebody, like he said, his wife was so appreciative of that. Like, how sad is that for our society? Oh, it's
1: pathetic. It, yeah, no, it, I'm, it,
2: toxic masculinity. Give it, me a break. The issue is lack of testosterone in there. No, males. for sure.
1: No, I know it. I mean, and the, the to me the bitch of it is, is that you know it's it's it, it's it's essentially the the when it's convenient. It's like I want you to be an emasculated spineless fuck when it suits you know society but you know but then oh hey also like when there's a terrorist attack feel free to to fucking thwart that also it's like (laughs) well hang on a minute you know like you you can't have it fucking both ways you know it's like holding the door uh, i mean just on a on a episode i did just i don't know a week or two ago there was there was a story about um you know and this pertains to quote unquote women's rights but um, you know, in wanting to be treated the same. It's like, but it's only when it's convenient, you know, and that shit pisses me off. And I'm not advocating or condoning, you know, physical violence towards women or anybody no. un- unwarranted. However, there was a story about a, a um, it was a football player that, you know, like shoved a woman in a, in a hotel mm. uh, hallway or something and, and then, you know, pushed her with his foot and they said kicked her or whatever. I mean, you see the video and it's pretty, pretty lame, frankly, but uh, but my point is like this dude lost his job like goes on an apology fucking tour you know all of these you know sports analysts and whatever are just motherfucking him up and down and it's like on the, in this in the same society that that thinks or wants desires women to be on an equal playing field in sports in special operations and all these other things if that was a dude like it wouldn't have even made the news
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know like so you know to me like that's that's one element of it But I think it it speaks to a broader problem that our society has and that there's, like, to to be a a white fucking man in this country, like, people are like, oh, what do you have to bitch about and white privilege and whatever, but, like, nobody could give less of a fuck what you and I think than any other group of people on the planet. Yeah. You know, like, you know, in terms of, like, you have no reason to fucking have any grievance or bitch or concern about anything and and nobody gives a shit. And, And to have that... That mentality of, of take, 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 except when I need something very specific, I think, uh, is, is why our country has, uh, you know, escalated to the point where Gillette has a fucking, you know, campaign telling people to shave, you know, because it's uh, it's the fucking, you know, being being a real man is not being a man anymore. Like, it's just it's fucking disheartening. It's disgusting. Yeah. I
2: mean, the fact that Gillette would.
1: <laughs> no, if, I mean, Give to me, me it's break. like, yeah, I get it. You're trying to get people to buy your shit. To shave, but that's the wrong fucking way to do it. I'll tell you that. Like, I I won't buy Gillette anything anymore. Anything.
2: Like, yeah. And I do because I shave. Because guess what? We we have to shave at echelon front. What's the fucking deal with that? I do you know, Jock, Jocko and Leif. Hold <laughs> can the he line. not grow
1: a beard? Is that what it is? Oh, no,
2: they can they can grow legit beards. Yeah. And I always joke with them, I'm yeah. like, hey, can I get a can I get a no shave chit? Because <laughs> I'm gonna be up in Michigan, yeah, working outside in the low teens yeah. doing these field training exercises that I run. Uh, can I get a no shave chit? And then Jocko's always like, Denied. Dang it. <laughs> and then I'll just joke around. I'll be like, but I got the bumps, you yeah, know, yeah. like, you know, guys in the military the would do like, hey, yeah. I, I can't shave because I get bumps and it's going to cause scars. And, Fucking um, crazy. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. I mean, we shave. I,
1: Is there a reason for it? It makes no it? difference.
2: It just look clean cut and yeah. squared away like we were in the military. You know, yeah, that's just, you know, that's the way Jock was always rolled and yeah. life, And I, I dig it, you know, trust me. I mean, there's times where I'm just like, man, I really want to just grow yeah. out a beard. But yeah. who cares? At the end of the day, you know, the other flip side of that is having a beard doesn't define you as a man, you know, yeah. and then guys will go this other Jurassic route. It's like, oh, I got this big ass beard and everything. It's like, yeah. so what? Yeah. Like, guys just, guys don't understand what being a man really is anymore. And, and yeah. it's sad. Yeah. And the fact, you know, Amanda doesn't work uh, a, a job, but she takes care of our family and she runs our family. Yeah. And that is so incredibly important for her to be able to do that. And so people like will look at her like, Oh, you don't work? Yeah. Like that's a bad thing. And I'm like, Do you understand what she does? Yeah. No, she you works. Know. She works oh, her ass off. Does just, she works more you know, than me. Yeah. Her her job is much harder. You know, she yeah. makes sure the kids are squared away at school, kids are squared away with jujitsu.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm squared away with all my travel, all my work trips, you know, conference calls, everything. I work from you know, I have a home office. You know, she does everything. So that I can do what I do, and we yeah. can have the life that we have, and provide for our kids, and help others and serve yeah. others. It's just ridiculous where people are.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, that like that's that's the uh, the way it ought to be, and it's not. You know, like I, I always kind of laugh or or honestly feel bad for people that that uh, you know go so far the other way of of like. It reminds me of the Jeff Goldblum quote in uh, Jurassic Park, like in terms of, of redefining traditional roles and everything. So, so much to the point where like it, it gets to where people are just doing things for the sake of doing them, you know, or, or to, to see if they can push the envelope this fucking far in terms of women doing this or men doing that or, or whatever. And, and uh, the, the, the quote is to the effect of, you know, we've spent so much time and energy trying to figure it out. Whether or not we could or couldn't, we never stopped and thought, should we, you know? And, and uh, yeah. you know, and, and that's relating to bringing fucking dinosaurs back. But to me, like on a broader scale, when you look at at uh, you know human nature uh, and the and the globe as a whole historically, you know, for the last couple thousand fucking years, you know, there there's a reason why the, the family has been uh, organized, designed, and and run and operated the way that it has you know like when you look at cultures that are are historically much more poor there's none of that like well women can you know and and men can have kids too and they can stay at home like (laughs) yeah they can you know but like to me like fucking scientifically biologically like it's supposed to fucking be that way like it's been that way and not because men just got together and had some secret society meeting and said yeah let's Let's be the, the fucking providers and protectors and keep women in, in the house. Like, it'll be a big joke on them. Like, you're, you're talking about thousands of years of, of biologically appropriate, you know, setups in terms of how, how families are organized. Like, I, I don't get why people are so hell-bent on fighting that. Like, it's not a bad thing. You know, I mean, that, that's how it works.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
2: There's just people out there that just want to argue, just argue. Yeah. I mean, I just, I look at, you know, some of the politicians at some of the stuff they say, I just, I wonder if they truly feel that way or if they're no, just I'd, arguing just to argue or if they legitimately have mental issues. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I think both sides uh, of the aisle, I would say, you know, liberals are, are historically more more or um, further guilty of it than, than probably uh, conservatives in, in most ways, but, um, you know, do things just because it's it's against what the other side believes or wants or or whatever i mean the wall is a classic example like i don't know how you argue against it you know i really don't like to me the the fact that it's even a fucking issue is mind-boggling to me like fucking put one up you know like i don't know like there's there's walls everywhere you know (laughs) why because they fucking work you know just i don't know to me i don't don't know how that's even a fucking issue but anyway we'll get to that uh, towards the end back to uh just real quick in terms of your your Navy career, was there a specific influence um, that kind of drove you to to join and serve uh, outside of just kind of the um, you know the the deal with your brother kind of stumbling onto it and, and introducing it to you was there was there kind of an external influence?
2: Um, so one of my uncles was a uh, pararescue. He was a PJ. Uh, he was actually a tier one p j so yeah I did a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of work with our with our brothers out yeah. east um, and so didn't but didn't really know much about that because he's a true silent professional and never really talked about it. Yeah. I never understood why he had a beard yet he was in the military and then yeah. I got in the military and I was like, oh <laughs> yeah. okay, he was one of those guys yeah check yeah. um but it was mostly just, you know, listening to stories from my grandparents, like both my my mom's dad and my dad's dad were both in the military in World War II, uh, and just hearing those stories about the military and service and just what I thought I knew about the SEAL teams. But it wasn't any like one individual that I knew was a SEAL. It's not like I knew a SEAL growing up and I was like, I want to be like him. Yeah. I just knew enough about the military just, that I just like, man, I, just, I was just drawn
1: towards the SEAL teams. Yeah. No, I yeah, I hear you there. Uh, in terms of that career, you came. What what year did you come in? So I was in boot camp September fifth, two thousand one. Oh shit!
2: And then six days later, nine eleven happens. What
1: the, what was that like? Being in such an isolated environment, such as boot camp, while that happened, like what, what It was you, crazy. You, I mean, you, it
2: was. So I remember I was standing by my my bed or you know the rack. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we call them. Bunk or whatever yeah, the fuck. Yeah, your bunk. Oh, no, your rack. Yeah. Everyone by the rack, and so I was standing by my rack, and the door slams open. And uh, it was an, a senior chief, he walks in, everyone calls attention on deck. And then he just like, you know, he says something to the effect of, hey, our nation's been attacked. We don't know what's going on next. And that was it. And leaves and we're like, what? Like, what do you mean our nation's been attacked? Like, is this like Pearl Harbor again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, all these thoughts are going through my mind. And then we find out, we've, and then we're told what happened. And we said, you know, base is on lockdown we're going to war, God and you're damn. just like rock and roll. Yeah. You know, like I just knew for myself. Obviously, I wasn't thrilled that that happened. I was, I was furious. I was upset. You know, I, I, you know, I felt just love for my country and rage at the same time. Like yeah. just for whoever did that, I wanted to make them pay. Yeah. I wanted to kill every single one of them. Yeah, and. I just wanted to get out of boot camp and get to buzz and go overseas. But then I started in my mind calculating how long it was going to be. I'm like, it's the war. I'm even be a going a couple going of years. On? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, in my yeah. mind, I was like, man, maybe I can cross transfer over the Marine Corps, yeah. you know, cause you know, as soon as I get done with yeah. boot camp, I'll be over there. Those guys are legit. And yeah. so, uh, they're always headed into combat. Oh, 300 uh,
1: infantry. You made it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would have been awesome. But, um, you know, so I just, you know, it was crazy. Base was on complete lockdown and uh there was just a lot of a lot of uncertainty. But I, I just knew. Like I knew where I was going. And it was I think like right within a couple of days, like the the guys come in, they're like, All right, everyone drop down, blah blah blah, everyone's in a push up position. They're so, like, Where's my seal wannabes? You know, guy, you know, stand up. And so guys are like standing up at attention, and I'm still in the push-up position. And they're like, they're going through, and they're like, "Danelle, where you at? Who you?" And they're like, "Aren't you, aren't you contracted to become a SEAL?" Or go to Bud's, and I said yes. They're like, "Why aren't you standing up?" And I was like, "Cause I'm not a wannabe. I'm a <laughs> I'm a gonna be." And so I just remember, I was just like that's super like cocky, tip. right? Yeah. I'm 18 years old, uh, but I, I knew that I knew. Like yeah. I knew that that's what I was going to do. Yeah. And that's um, I thought it was like a test, also, like where's the wannabes? Because when I went into the recruiter's office, uh, I had some issues getting in because I had a cast on my hand. And they said, you know, the SEAL wannabe recruiter is will be back in two days. You can come talk to him. Dude, that pissed me off. Yeah. I was like, I ain't doing this. Yeah, yeah it's like so, you know, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And so when I was in boot camp, they're like, Where's all the seal wannabes? I just stayed in the push up position. Yeah. And then I That's was like, I'm not a brilliant. wannabe, I'm a gonna be. <laughs>
1: That's great shit. God damn, I love it. Um all right, so you graduate boot camp, you go yep. to uh, go to my A school. A school. What A school were? You I was in?
2: a whole technician. Oh shit. Yeah call them turd chases in the navy so you know i did it because of uh, you, you learn a skill to weld right at yeah. the time you had to have a seal source rating yeah. and i was like what do these guys do uh, i was like what's the shortest a school that'll get me to buds asap yeah other than yeoman yeah and uh, <laughs> yeah. um and so ht the whole technician was a decent size a decent distant uh length a school but they did pipe fitting bending sheet metal work welding all that yeah, stuff useful shit. and i was like yeah, yeah that's useful that's awesome that's a squeeze and i wanted to impress my grandfather i wanted yeah. to have this skill set because he did construction and you know he had to do a lot of all that same stuff you know growing up on a farm and the property that he had in northern california like still to this day i mean my grandfather passed away you know Miss him, rest his soul, rest in peace. But my grandmother still lives there. The house is still heated by a wood burning stove. Yeah, you know, the water comes from a well. You know, yeah. I had to do a lot of work on his property. You yeah. know, and so I just remember that. I was like, Man, if I could go help him, if I could weld, that would be cool. So that's why yeah. I chose that A school. Yeah. And then uh, after A school, went to Buds. Checked into class two forty two. I remember a pipe hitter class. Dude, it was. <laughs> yeah, a, lot, a
1: lot of good dudes in that one. Yeah.
2: So it was. It was. I mean. Yeah uh, Congressional Medal of Honor recipient Ed Byers yeah. was in our Buds class, you yeah. know. And uh, it was just I remember checking in there April April 26, uh, 2002. yeah, and then uh, classed up and uh, rest of history. Uh, yeah. The only evolution I failed in Buds was the tread. And then at the time that was when remember when they went from the duck feet to those big those big oh, like dive yeah, fins yeah. that nobody could tread yeah, with those yeah. and so every everyone fails the tread yeah. and then the, the next time we got to go back the next day we did we got to do the retest on the tread uh, they let us wear the duck feet and yeah. so I passed the, the second time I was so pissed off because I wanted just to pass every evolution the yeah. first time but yeah, yeah only one I I failed and then SQT. Uh, but what was cool is like, I mean, you were an SQT instructor during this time and you, know, you guys were coming back from deployments with actual combat knowledge. Yeah. And that's what was changing. Like Buds was starting to kind of shift, but Buds doesn't really teach you much about being a SEAL. You yeah. know, Maybe third phase, maybe dive phase. Yeah, they're going to teach you some diving stuff. Yeah. SQT is where you're actually teaching yeah. guys how to be a frogman. It's all the advanced stuff. Buds is, uh, I tell people, it's just a really long interview. Oh, yeah. Because at any point in time, you can be shit-canned from training. Yeah. If at any point in time they realize you can't lead... You're done. Yeah. That's what they're looking for, especially yeah. in the officers. But even the enlisted guys, like, hey, is this guy a team player? Yeah. Can he step up and lead? You know, mm-hmm. I remember in third phase, um, we were doing a swim and one of the guys had to pass the swim. And so we start off on the swim <laughs> and I switch swim buddies. Like I told my swim buddy who was an officer, because we always came in like first, second, or third, like, hey, go with so and so. I'm going to swim with this guy because he's got, like, I'm going to drag him. You know, he's got to, you know, I'm going to push the pace. And so we do that. So we come back through. Of course, the instructors find out. And I get pulled into, like, third phase. You know, uh, the instructors are like, you know, blah, what's going on? And I remember it was, um, I don't know if I can say his name, but he's a warrant officer. And he's like, what happened? Why would you do this? I said, well, because I knew this guy needed to be pushed on the swim and I could, you know, I've passed everything, you know, and I'm a strong swimmer. And so I told my swim buddy to switch with him and I went with him and he he was like, so you're telling me HT3 Donnell told an officer (laughs) this and you made the decision out there that you were going to make this. And I said, absolutely. Yes, sir. He goes, awesome get out of (laughs) here and it was just you know i thought i was gonna get hammered but he that's what they want they want to see guys stepping up and thinking outside the box and going Mm -hmm. you know does this is this really that big of an issue right now no that's what we're doing right now is not right let's fix it like let's let's look out for others and then sqt it's what's like hey now we're actually learning to shoot move communicate and do all the awesome stuff
1: yeah you know as an instructor one of my favorite things to do um Was exactly that was to be like, hey, you know, who's the junior man of this boat crew or squad or whatever? And you know, some fucking nineteen year old yep. will raise a hand and be like, All right, you're fucking in charge now and they're like, bah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but doing that on a regular basis, like, you know, one is it, it you know, if if every fucking asshole in the class knows that at any given time you may have to run the show, yep. you're constantly thinking about it. You're engaged. You know, and, and so like to me, like for you know, all you assholes out there listening that run anything, uh, like I can't encourage that enough you know, within your, your pipeline of people that work for you is to mix that up a little bit, obviously not to the detriment of your business, but, Mm uh, but do exercises where if it's something that's, you know, maybe a little less important or, uh, you know, there's something where, you know, you've got a little bit of wiggle room in terms of productivity, put somebody else in charge that that has no idea that they're going to be put in charge. And by doing that, it forces all of your, your employees, you know, if you're a coach with athletes, I mean, fucking, you, you know, you name it, to always be thinking like, okay, well, if I was put in charge, how would I run this? And, and it just... I, I think it makes everybody more productive by doing that. You well,
2: know? Because you're giving them ownership. Yeah. You want your guys to take ownership? Give them ownership. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're just raised and ingrained in, 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 into our minds of, well, you know, there's always a chain of command in everything in life. Mm-hmm. And that is true. Yeah. However, do not allow that to hinder you from stepping up and and leading yeah. you know and you have to and Jocko knew that he realized that and he knows that's a bad thing in society especially in the military right yeah. like hey I'm an E4 I don't I don't speak up because my E5 knows to do the right thing yeah. and you know he came in and he gave us ownership he yeah. gave us that mindset by saying hey I want you to take ownership I want you to own everything that affects the mission everything yeah. that affects us as a task unit you're going to own no excuses like there there is absolutely no excuses yeah because we're going to own it yeah and so by you doing that as an sqt instructor it forced us to step up and lead and we knew hey at any point in time we could be put in a position of leadership at any point in time hey guess what if my chief gets killed on a mission and i'm the next up like i need to know what to do i need to be able to step up and as I step up, guess what? Everybody else to do. Mm. They have to step up in their levels of leadership as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. So speaking of um, deployments and uh, you know combat missions, not just simulated and training for leadership purposes, but actually now you check into SEAL Team Three. Um, one of the neat things about the the time that I was an instructor is like looking at at the the crew of of fucking dudes that that went through um that time and then you know the, the mid-2000s you know oh oh four to fucking oh nine like yeah. oh8 like that that block of time like holy fuck you know for the community i mean it's just it, it's reminiscent of the stories from vietnam you know like yes. the mid-60s type of thing when it was at full full swing you know 65 to 69 type Type of, of uh, similarities in terms of just the, the just nonstop fucking work getting put in, um, and you know you were at that you know right place right time um, you know in terms of your career and where you were at and, and whatever and I, I I know some of it you can't talk about um, but some of it you can and, and so I'd love to get into. Um, you know, if you could kind of chronologically outline just your your time at, at Team Three, what it was like checking in, and, and kind of the feelings, because I know, like for me, when I checked into Team Three, it was pre nine eleven. was very different. Yeah. So I'm curious to get your take. as, you know, now that we we'd been you know in full blown fucking war in Afghanistan and Iraq for a, a period of time, what what was that like checking in? It was awesome.
2: You know, uh like I told you know, SQT was great for me. We had um, solid instructors, except for that one that got. <laughs> yeah. Got fired
1: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah i remember him <laughs> talk about that another, another
2: <laughs> yeah. time not on this podcast yeah. so. we'll
1: just say fishnet tops right? yeah oh, we're talking about the same guy right yes yeah oh, anyway anyway <laughs> get sidetracked
2: yep anyway um i don't know i was always drawn to, to team three yeah. like, i don't know what it was i don't know if i had talked like you and other instructors that i thought were were legit guys that i looked up to that just Something about three, I wanted to go there. Mm. And I didn't know where I was going until I was in um it was after SKT when I was in cold weather training up in Kodiak, Alaska. Like everyone else knew where they were going and Seth and I were still trying to figure out where we we're going and you know and then all of a sudden find out we're going to team three and I, I was fired up and I found yeah. out we're, we're going to Delta Platoon together. I was like yeah. fucking a. awesome. Yeah. And uh I remember, you know, Seth going, Hey, always have a notebook. And a pen with you. Mechanical pencils are better because, you know, it, you know, a pen might fail, but a mechanical pencil, you can at least have it. And, you know, well, I don't like Okay, roger that, sir. You know, and I remember. So we're graduating from um, SQT, and there's a couple other guys that went to Team 3 as well. One of them's actually, it's crazy for me to think about. We went through Buds and SQT together. And now he's a command master chief. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking wild. Like, yeah. <laughs> like what really the happy fuck? I got out. No, I love what I do. You know what I mean? But I think about that. I mean, I, I would be a couple of years away from a, a full-blown retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be a senior chief or master chief by now for yeah. sure. Maybe. Uh, yeah.
1: Maybe. <laughs> maybe an E5. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> um,
2: which, you know, I'd be fine with.
1: Yeah. Uh, fucking sled dog yeah. for life. Oh, that's the best. Yeah. You
2: know, but then also you look at what you can do in being a, in a position of leadership. Yeah. That's phenomenal as well. And yeah. so anyway, so I, I check into still team three and um going around to meet my platoon chief. Our platoon chief actually came over and, and then brought us over and we're walking around the team. And I'm just like meeting guys and you know taking notes of the little stuff. And and I I've always been the like, hey, let's be friends. Like <laughs> I was never like the I never had that tough guy like yeah um i'm a hard ass like let's just size each other up thing i was just like hey like hey how you doing my name is jp you know like you know we're working together we're gonna be friends like you know what
1: I mean? <laughs> you want to do karate yeah yeah or
2: exactly <laughs> like i thought you know which it's funny like so i'm that young new guy checking into the seal team like that and you know how the old guys are towards the yeah. new guys and i quickly learned
1: yeah. to keep my mouth yeah. shut <laughs> yeah. and just they don't want to be your friend right
2: away yeah you know what yeah. i mean and and rightfully so like yeah. hey you know why is this guy even here like well yeah. you know he doesn't deserve a seat at the table he's got to earn that seat yeah. and that's i love that mentality yeah. and seth kind of talked to me about it like, he hey jp man he's like we're we're in the seal teams now like you got to I know you're friendly, go happy, go lucky guy, you're always talkative, you need to shut up. Same like <laughs> Mr. Rogers name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just need to you know, absorb it, take notes, be humble, yeah. you know, and he's like, we're going to do this together. And I mean, when I think about stuff like that, it's, I just, you know, Seth was such a good person you know and uh so i check in the team and you know we find out all of our stuff and they're like hey uh you're leaving in a couple of days to head out to the desert to go in, to an off-road hummer driving and racing school you got to be back here sunday at this time uh you're gonna go go over to supply get all your gear everything else like that and i was like
1: that's that's you've got to be kidding yeah, that's me that's one of those schools you're like am i on a hidden camera show right yeah. now like you're gonna fucking pay me to go off-road shit like, yeah.
2: yeah off-road hummer driving and racing and navigation school yeah check. So go out to the <laughs> desert, do that. That's where I became really close friends with Derek Benson. We mm-hmm. found out we we're, you know, uh, he was a buzz class had me. He's in class 241 with Leif. And then, you know, uh, they hold the officers back, they do the officer training. And then that's when Leif and Seth came into my SQT class, so I knew Derek really well. Uh, we became like best friends out there, and uh, from that point on, we we're just always hanging out, like, just started, you know, both rode street bikes, started racing bikes, you know, just always, always together. Yeah. Um, and so we go, we do that workup. We're getting ready to head overseas to do the you know the capture kill mission that you guys have done and other guys who are doing over there and i mean it's such a badass mission yeah. it, that is it's the like that is the navy seal mission yeah. cool i'm going to go sneak in at night while night vision i'm going to blow open the front door or i'm going to pick the lock we're going to go get the guy out of his bed we're going to catch him by surprise we're going to kill the guys that try to fight back that have weapons awesome so that's what we're doing our whole workup for. That's what we're planning. Blah blah blah, and then for like five weeks before we deploy, we find out that we're taking over the the personal security detail mission, and we're like, <laughs> "You're you, welcome." <laughs> you've got to be kidding me! And so we go to like a week and a half, maybe two week uh, school tops with the Secret Service yeah. to basically like, hey
1: here's your diamond here's your basic.
2: yeah here's your basics right uh it was really cool working with those guys and you know I i hadn't deployed yet i was a new guy i was only 19 or 20 at this time but to show the level of intensity of training in third phase sqt and then doing a workup you know we were doing scenarios against these guys and these guys have been doing that for 10 15 20 years right with the secret service yeah and they were like, we've never worked with a group that can shoot and move like you guys. No, like, sure. we would crush them in scenarios. God, that's all. Crush awesome. them. Like, absolute soul crush them. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not talking down on Secret Service. It's just different levels of training, yeah. right? And those guys were like, if we can ever help you guys, you know what I mean? And it was really cool because of us getting to work with those guys. And then them, and for me, for what I took from that was like, wow. We are just at a different level when it comes to our training, the amount of time that we put in. And so that kind of made me think more of like just being like, hey, you know, what we what we get to do is is amazing. Not everyone gets this level of training. Yeah. And so went over on that deployment, we're doing the personal security detail for the top seven dignitaries in Iraq during the election time frame. Oh it sucks. You go you think from you're going to be on the offense to now you're on the defense. Yeah. Know? I, dude, I was young, I was immature and I had a really shitty attitude, you know. Um I was not happy to be there. Um and it, it, it showed. You know, I remember one of the old guys, uh, his nickname is Pepper. Um he had to tune me up. Yeah. He had a little conversation yeah, I'm, with I'm me. With Pepper. He, he's a good dude. Yeah. And um you know, I remember he he he, he talked to me. He's like, "Hey, you know, I did my first workup and we we're getting ready to deploy and I had to have surgery." And I, I missed out on the initial push into Afghanistan. Like, how do you think that made me feel? He's like, look around at what we're getting to do. We're in civilian clothes. We're in low-vis body armor. We're in heated and air-conditioned, fully armored SUVs. You know, we're traveling all over Iraq to keep this guy safe. And he's a good guy. He's yeah. a good, you know, good Assyrian Christian. And, you know, he's he wants change. And he's trying to make things, you know, happen over here and you have a shitty attitude yeah. because you're not getting to go and do da's right now grow up yeah and i was just like i remember we we were sitting in the in one of our vehicles outside the tent and he pulled me in there and i was sitting in the driver's seat and he sat in the passenger seat and i thought he was gonna beat my ass inside there you know and he <laughs> he should have you know and because i i was in the wrong 100 percent, and i just remember that conversation i was like check. No. Okay. Yeah, and that kind of set me straight. Uh, and then we went through the rest of that. Um, I, I think he he also wrote something up like on paper, and oh, he was just like, "Hey, I'm gonna hold on to this." Yeah. If your attitude continues to be the same, it's gonna be official. If not. I'll put it over in that burn pit over there, you know, before we leave. It was, and that was the good little tune-up I needed, you know. I needed that good old guy to just be hard on me and just say, "Hey, man, life could be worse." Yeah, absolutely, you know. And and so, I've always known that. My parents always instilled that into me, and I was just being a little prick, right? And so. But from that point on, it really changed my mindset into regards to like, I get to do this, right? On deployment, I get to do this. And I had that mindset going through BUDS. I knew I was lucky to be there, but I had kind of lost sight of that. And it just took, just somebody reminding me of that. Yeah. And so we do that deployment. We feel good about it. Everything's good. We keep those guys safe. Nothing major happens to those guys on that deployment. And then we we hear that things are starting to get kind of wild out west, you know, in, in Ramadi. And we're like, oh, what? You know, this insurgency term starting to be thrown out there. And we hear that it's it's legit out there. And so we come back. Getting ready to do another workup, Jocko comes in as our task unit commander. Now I had heard about Jocko; I knew his reputation, and um, you know he he held the line. There's no slack, no slack when it came to him, and I was fired up about that. And um, you know we had an awesome workout, and Jocko gave us that mindset of extreme ownership, and he he held the line and he held the standards hard, um, and so and he took care of us and he showed us what leadership was all about you yeah. know leadership capital and building that up with your guys and you know when when to use it when to expend it and when to when to save it and yeah. so i uh, just you know learned a, a lot from Jocko and Leif and Seth and then um we we deployed to Ramadi and it, it was amazing it was that was the that what was was dream deployment yes that yeah. was the most amazing deployment ever i mean yeah. we we're in gunfights almost every single day, yeah, you know, and being able to work with those soldiers and Marines that we worked with was insane. I I mean, those guys are, are hardened combat warriors. You know, we showed up to Ramadi and the two, two, eight, or they're a national guard unit out of Pennsylvania. You know, if anybody knows anything about the national guard, I mean, they're not trained properly. They don't have the right gear. They don't have, they don't have anything. That's not their gig. You know, that's not their gig. Absolutely. And, um, they got pulled over to Ramadi. And when we showed up, they had been in combat every single day for 14 months. Goddamn. F- 14 months straight of fighting in the worst area in the world. But they in had Ramadi, to some serious fucking heavies on. Huh? No, they did. They yeah. did. Um, uh, 94 were killed in action. Over 300 were wounded when we showed up. And they yeah. controlled less than a third of the city. Do you know,
1: ballpark, what size unit that was? Uh, that those numbers came out of. Dude, I really should. I I can't even think right yeah, now. It was right significant. Though. Yeah, yeah, it was significant yeah. for sure. I mean, ninety four. Um, I mean, one significant. Yeah, but.
2: one significant, but ninety four. I mean, yeah. that's ridiculous. You yeah. know, and over three hundred wounded. Fuck, um, and then. And they only controlled less than a third of the city. That's yeah. how bad it was there. Yeah. Um, there was estimated between 4,000 to 5,000 enemy fighters in that region at that time. Yeah. And I remember we were replacing a, a different task unit. And that task unit leadership told Jocko and Leif and Seth, like, hey, if you guys go into this area, you're going to get almost all your guys killed. Like, you're going to get your guys wounded. You're going to get your guys killed. Nobody's going to be able to go in there and get you guys. Don't go there. It's stupid, right? And so what do we do? where that's where we're going (laughs) to go and no but that in the it's obviously jock they didn't want anybody to get wounded or killed but you know this i I tell this companies all the time what do you accomplish from the sidelines yeah zero nothing yeah like get in the fight figure out if it's even worth fighting for and if it is worth fighting for you then get in the fight yeah and realize that there's going to be some sacrifice it's going to be hard work but get to work yeah and that's what we did and you know what we were honored to serve the 228 to yeah. support them in any way possible. It didn't matter. And I, I saw have emails in one of my old accounts from other team guys going, what in the hell are you guys doing? Yeah. This isn't what team guys do. Yeah. We don't do daytime urban presence patrols. Well, guess what? They needed us. They were asking for additional gunfire. When they found out seals were in the area, they said, well, this is what we're doing. Can you guys help? Can you support in any way possible? And yeah. we're like, yeah, cool. And then, well,
1: yeah, I mean to me like I, I would I would disagree with those guys. I mean to me that's exactly what SEALs do. I, you know, like yes. We do what the fuck needs to be done. We get the job done. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. That was one of the neatest things about you know the time I was there, which was was earlier But some of the things that we did were so far outside the fucking scope of what I ever thought we would be doing. But it was like, yeah, it it was. Hey, can you go check this fucking bridge and route out that we're going to be bringing the entire First Marine Division through tomorrow morning? Fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah,
2: I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like at that time, there were there were lines, you know, there there were you know enemy lines and and advances in terms of where our our military had gone and hadn't gone, and we were going past that Mm -hmm. with four, you know unarmored fucking shit, shit bird Humvees, you know, two of which didn't even have doors on them, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, by ourselves. Like, I mean, they, like they didn't even, they are like, what in the fuck? Like, cause they, they weren't expecting four Humvees to be driving around. Yeah. Like, they're just like, what the fuck? Like, you know, we were getting looked at like this, like in bewilderment, you know, yeah. but, but anyway, my point is, is that doing stuff like that, I agree. Like to me that that's what, from my perspective and, and I, I love that, that we share that. Um, you know that that principled approach to to being a team guy is that you you do what's asked of you to the best of your ability and mm-hmm. you figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, you
2: know? no excuses. Yeah, you know, and that's yeah. You know, one of the shirts I I, I almost wore, and I wish I would have, is just because it ties into what we just said. It, you know, it's one of the shirts from Echelon Front. Um, um, you know, Leif talks about it just being default aggressive. Yeah, like that is our mode. Yeah, we don't know anything else other than that. Yeah. And that's not like going out and getting a bar fight or towards somebody. It's just getting stuff done, making it happen, you know, taking the fight to your enemy, whatever your enemy is. We all have enemies. We all are dealing with different enemies. Yeah. Take the fight to your enemy. Quit being complacent. You know, if you looked at how we patrolled in the streets, our chests were out, our head was up and we were scanning for threats. We weren't like hunkered ever. We were never like that. We were ready to get in a fight. We, we hunted them. Yeah, we started hunting the enemy. We took the fight to them, and that's that's what made the difference in Ramadi. And yeah. then, you know, a, m- a month later, the 11 AD replaced the two two eight, and the AD stands for Armored Division. Yeah. armored is tanks. Yeah, dude, th-
1: rock and roll, sexy, sexy
2: <laughs> creations right there. Those are the invention of a tank is, in my mind, the the greatest invention that we've ever had. Yeah, because I can tell you, I've been in buildings pinned down by suppressive enemy fire while we were running low on ammo mm-hmm. because we've been in a gunfight for. A, hours right back and forth back and forth trying to keep the high ground trying to protect soldiers on the streets trying to protect our seals on the streets patrolling with marines and and soldiers and iraqi soldiers and a combat outpost trying to be built and we and we're like hey we're running out of ammo we need tank support and we get on the radio and we call them for tank support and those guys would be like roger that we're headed your way that's a really good feeling oh fuck yeah and then when those tanks get in front of your building and you just hear that <laughs> like if that turret moving yeah. and you're like, hey, you know, you, you know, Leif talks about it in both the books that yeah. Leif and Jocko wrote, Extreme Ownership and the Dichotomy of Leadership, about you know, firing into a building's window where the enemy fires are with a full magazine of tracer rounds so that they they know where it's coming from. Yeah. And then that tank just turns that way and it's like bah, 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 bah. Yeah. And,
0: and they that's just start.
2: Quiet. Oh, <laughs> guess what? Those enemy fighters will never ever be an issue again. Yeah. You know, and those guys came to our aid every single time we asked them to, if they were not already helping somebody else every single time. And that was amazing because in Ramadi, it wasn't, it was, there were, there were silos, obviously at the beginning, right? Army, Marine Corps, Navy, but Ramadi was all about one team, one fight. It didn't matter who got the credit. It didn't matter as long as we, we won because they told us Ramadi was an unwinnable war. You know, a a quote from the Marine Corps was from an intelligence officer was actually leaked to the press. And it it said the social and political situation has deteriorated to a point that U.S. and Iraqi troops are no longer capable of militarily defeating the insurgency in Al-Anbar. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah. And we're like, (laughs) check. okay, You know, and that it was just to see that and to see the what these soldiers did. I mean, those guys are over there for 15 months at a time to no, see nuts. what the Marines were doing, yeah. the living conditions they had. That's World War II shit. Yeah. yeah, it was. You know, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go out to that small forward operating base on the eastern side of Ramadi. It was myself, six other SEALs, and an interpreter. And we were working with the 1st 506 Infantry Division, the famous Banda Brothers. Yeah. That's who I got to work yeah, first with. Of the five Dude, I mean, it, just to be able to work yeah. with those guys was phenomenal. Yeah. But that fob that we lived on, uh, full metal jacket was a building that I lived in. It was Camp Crigidor. That building was an old blown out building f- that was part of a university and mm-hmm. that the The building was built up with sandbags and plywood and we had dirt floors and we built up little rooms in there. I mean, it was hard living conditions, but that's what I wanted. Like that's what we all wanted. We're like, yes, because if it's shitty here, that means that we're in it. That's we're we're gonna be in the fight. I'm not on some big built up base where I can go get Domino's or Subway or or Starbucks, Rocky
1: Four style.
2: Yes, that that is the best correlation anybody's ever given. It was Rocky Four style. You know, there. You know, a lot of times our. Our our chow hall got hit by mortars, and so we were eating MREs. Our, our the shower tents, you know, I talked about on Jocko's podcast. The shower tents got hit by mortars. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like cool. Well, how do you shower? You take your water bottle, you poke holes in the top of it. Your buddy stands on a chair and squeezes it over <laughs> you, and that's how you know you kind of wash up or you baby wipe up. And that it was, you know, there's just and like, he gets your back while he's out. yeah, absolutely, you know, <laughs> yeah. And so it was just, you know, it was hard living, but it was awesome. And I, I miss those days, you know, of sleeping on an air mattress that was on a, a, a bed that you made out of two by fours and plywood and yeah. the door is a poncho liner. And, you know, Mikey was right next to me. Another guy, uh, the Badger, uh, he's still in, yeah. uh, was, was right next to me. And he, was, he, he taught me a lot about being a sniper in the SEAL teams as well. Phenomenal individual. I, I saw him at Seth's funeral and I was like, bro. It was so good to see him. But I was just like looking at his dress uniform. Literally, his trident. is was like on a scapula. <laughs> it is yeah. on the top of his trap. Yeah. That his rack is just yeah. insane. No, I know. It. You know, and so it's funny when people are always like, oh, thank you. You did three combat deployments. I'm like, I'm a quitter. I got out early. Like I have buddies on their 10th, 11th, yeah. 12th combat deployment. Oh, no. Guys are still in the fight, you know. I didn't, I didn't really do much, you know. But Ramadi was legit. Yeah. And we got to do a lot of good stuff. Um the cost of Ramadi was heavy though, man. I mean, we lost Mark Lee, the first Navy SEAL killed yeah. in Iraq, you know. I I was talking to him the week before he was killed. Yeah. Um, you know, he was wanting to he was gonna buy a house for his wife and surprise her and you know, then start a family. And um the same day Mark was killed, Ryan Job was shot in the face, gravely wounded. I mean, no completely blind. Is in Germany. Coming back to the United States, his high school sweetheart quits nursing school so she can take care of him. You know, he summits Mount Rainier. He's completely blind, no sense of smell, no sense of taste, um, but living life to the fullest. Gets a business degree with a 4.0, and then the week that him and his wife found out they're having a baby girl, he goes in for his 20-second surgery and dies, you know? Yeah,
1: I I mean, that whole story is fucking just heartbreaking. Yeah. I, do you know what, what happened with it? Was it just complications? Just complications,
2: yeah. man. And then... Yeah it's Yeah you know, the
1: the hard one is you know I just
2: you know, if you ever you know, like guys will see me like from stage talking or on podcast like you see that scar there like, I cut my finger down to the bone um and they thought I was going to lose my finger and so I got flown out of uh, Ramadi to a, a another base to have surgery cuz they thought like and um you know the only mission I missed out on was that last one when Mikey was killed yeah and um you know, Mikey Mansoor, he he was like one of my new guys. You know, he was, he was my security gunner. When I was a point man and or acting as a sniper, he was always by my side, always. And I wasn't there for him. You know, I wasn't there on that mission and that, you know, there's a lot of guilt from that and, you know, for a while there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of questions and doubt, anger, all that stuff, but... I mean, you can't sit there and focus on all that. No, no, you, you can't cuz where does that get you? Nowhere. It gets you nowhere. And yeah. and and those feelings that I had are no different than the feelings that anybody else that's listening to this podcast has felt. We've all felt all those things in your life. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at all the good that you've done and the good that you can do. You can't sit there and, you know, focus on all the all the bad stuff in your past. It yeah. gets you nowhere. What are you gonna do with this? What are you gonna do with the gift that you have? And there's been a couple different scenarios in, throughout my career that I was very fortunate enough where I was still able to to be alive, you yeah. know, and you you have to you have to take those lessons that you learned and, and pass on. I mean, Battle Ramadi was ridiculous. I mean, you know, nine abram battle tanks were completely destroyed, you know, the big the big huge abram battle tanks, nine of those were gone. 15 Bradley fighting vehicles, 34 Humvees. Yeah. 98 guys were killed in action and over 500 were wounded. And what, and what's uh time span was that? So 61 were killed in action during our six months with them. Yeah. And then during their whole, whole time over there, 15 months, 98 total were killed in action. Yeah.
1: Fucking Christ. That, that whole operation and that, the, you know, the SUNY triangle during that time was, uh, I remember, you know, I, I was back as an instructor, um, and Mikey Mansoor was actually the first uh, student that I had yeah. had that had died in training, and for me, like I, I'll never forget going to his funeral. Like to, to this day, I mean, I've had because I didn't really know him. I mean, yeah. I, I, I vaguely remembered him yeah. from from being a, one of his instructors. But um, you know, I I had guys, you know, Glenn and Ty were two of my closest friends. Dude, Ty was such you know, an amazing guy. Yeah, um, you know, but of all of the funerals that I've been to. That to this day, and, and I, I have no doubt for the rest of my fucking life was was the toughest. Yeah, you know, um, because of the circumstances, and, and it was the like it almost felt like. By no means is this me saying I was a father figure in his life because I, I I wasn't, but but having been one of his instructors and and that being the first student that that you know had yeah. had been lost in combat since I was an instructor, just something about that hit me so fucking hard. You know, like even. The temple of the dog song uh say hello to heaven was played mm-hmm. to this day i mean it's been 13 fucking years 12 13 yeah. years uh to this day i can't listen to that fucking song yeah you know like the second it comes on i change the fucking channel well, you know
2: i mean but you you say you like you weren't but you were you were a father figure because that's what we did in the teams when we were instructors and it didn't matter if those guys were younger than us our our age or older you know i was at Trata after Ramadi. you know uh, i got pulled from seal team three because i had to have surgery and i, I couldn't I had some issues with that surgery. And so I couldn't stay at SEAL team three, which is, was heartbreaking to me because I was supposed to be, you know, back in, you know, we're supposed to be going to solder city and Mike Sorelli, who was on the rooftop with Mikey was the OIC of that platoon that I got pulled from. Yeah. Like it just killed me, killed me yeah. to, to, to be pulled from that, you know, and I, I, go to buds and I'm at buds for a couple of months and I get choco pulls me over to trade at. And so, I mean, you know, one of the BUDS class I was a BUDS instructor for was class 265. 265 has the most amount of guys that have been killed from one single BUDS class. Oh, shit. I think there's like six guys, six guys from that class have been LPO. killed. And I knew those guys. Those guys were legit yeah. warriors, right? And then they come through training. Then I'm at trade it as one of the, uh, for, for, a little, for a year, I was the LPO, the leading petty officer in charge of all of our urban warfare training. You know, so all the Salk training that we did, I ran all that stuff. And so I remember all these guys coming through training. And then I was also a CQC instructor in addition to doing the Salk training. And so you just get to know all these guys. And then you find out that they get killed. And it's yeah. And I was younger than a lot of these guys. And I, I still felt like what you just described because you know. it's like, did I not Did I not teach them? Is there something I didn't do, you know? and it, But it's also the camaraderie and the brotherhood that we have because you know... At any point, you know, if you're a good team guy, if you would have done exactly what they did, yeah, if that, you would have been in those positions and actually deploying to combat, you know, and not avoiding
1: it. Yeah, yeah, no shit. To me, there, there's just a there's an inherent sense of responsibility that you feel for it, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you can't you can't help but feel that. It's but, hard to explain. Yeah. I've tried to explain it to guys, it, yeah. and I just. Yeah, you really it's just one of those things you know. I, ch- I chalk
2: up, and I just tell people, "Hey, you know, there's a few things in life that you just can't explain, yeah.
1: and this is one of those yeah. things." That and women. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The um, well, so so going back to uh, you, you mentioned the introduction of the tanks. Um, I, I would like to talk about that for a second. Would you say that that was a game changer in terms of your guys's presence there, like totally yes. flip the script? Absolutely. Is that when you were mentioning the? Uh, the slow spinning of the turret like it reminds me of uh when you're going up on a fucking roller coaster yep. like it's that anticipation you, know, <laughs> you know yeah you know like that super yep. slow and it's it's super you know the anticipation is 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 the hardest part of it or the or the worst or the the most exciting depending upon which end you're on but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know but um can you describe kind of the you know the once the implementation of that did you notice like kind of a paradigm shift in terms of I can only assume that now the enemy's tactics had to have been, uh, you know, adapted to that. And, and, and what, what was that like once they showed
2: yeah, up? Yeah. I mean, those guys we were fighting were smart, you know, people are like, Oh, dumb." you know, I was like, no, no, they're fucking smart. They're very smart. They're still alive. They're still in the game. You know, like I, I didn't grow up hunting, but I always asked when I talk to companies, I say, Hey, any hunters in the room the guys would like raise their hands. Like hell yeah. You know, like guys are getting all excited. I'm like, Hey, does a buck get big by being dumb
3: Yeah.
2: every single time? Guys just start shaking their head. They're like, "Hell no!" And I'm like, "These guys were still alive because they were smart. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. They were evil, evil people, and they were they had no rules. Yeah. We had rules that we had to adhere to. They had no rules, mm-hmm. and so they they had to adapt to that. You know, and I I will say like, the soldiers and marines that we worked with, they were default aggressive also. So yeah. you have you have you have soldiers, marines, and seals that are being told like, hey, this is unwinnable. You can't win. And the leadership from all those units are like, no, we're going to win. And this is how we're gonna win. And then that attitude is reflected down to their own guys. It's contagious. And guys start to believe that they can win. Mm -hmm. We believed in it. We believed that we were gonna win in the Battle of Ramadi. The soldiers that we worked with, they believed in it. The Marines that we worked with, everybody freaking believed in it. And we could, we just got to work, you know, and those, those tanks were an absolute game changer. It's a tank. I mean, you know, they drive through buildings, you know, there's times where we were pinned down in a building and we couldn't get out. We couldn't even leave the courtyard. Like we might be able to be in the courtyard and we couldn't even leave the gate from the courtyard to go out in the streets because guys were getting shot and you know, you just couldn't do that. And so we'd tell those tanks and they would back through, they would drive through that fence they would back the tank up to the front door of the building, and we literally would run from the house into the tank. They load up and we'd just take off, and it's like absolute game changer, yeah. Yeah. you know. Absolute, but you know, hey, then again, those are big targets as well. Yeah, and the IED threats out there were were no joke. We didn't call the tanks in unless we knew we absolutely had to have them. Otherwise, a a, a good portion of our guys were going to get killed. Yeah. Like we didn't do it because we also knew them coming in the the threat of them hitting ieds and getting guys wounded or killed was high as well so that's some of those things that we had sometimes we just had to wait until night right and yeah. just be like hey we're gonna have to get out of here once the nightfall comes and that's going to help give yeah. us the
1: advantage and i mean that's kind of around the time where they started adopting the the efp type shape mm-hmm. charges and shit yeah. to to get through some of the new Super armored vehicles and the in the fucking tanks and shit, yeah. right? I mean, so yeah, it's a it's a dice dicey fucking scenario, no doubt. Um, one of the things you mentioned earlier about uh, that, that kind of struck a chord with me in terms of body language—the way that you guys patrolled versus how everybody else, you know, had had patrolled previously. Some of the National Guard guys. I'm curious, you know, because body language is such a, a huge component to dog training. Um, was was there any any element of of your uh, interpretation of understanding in terms of of the enemy responding different or realizing like these fucking guys are different the the, the way that they're patrolling the way that they're carrying themselves that type of stuff can mm-hmm. you can you speak to the the difference that that made so
2: well, I, I don't i don't want to be coming off like i'm saying anything official <laughs> uh, but i do i do remember you know when we would work uh with the iraqi soldiers and they would they were starting to build relationships with the local populace that were good innocent people that just want to live a normal life right yeah. and we started to hear that the enemy fighters they like they knew who we were mm-hmm. like because we had different gear we had different helmets and like they knew when, when the guys with tan helmets came in
1: all hell's breaking
2: yes up. Yeah. absolutely yeah because we were hunting them yeah. we weren't on the defense even when we were set up doing overwatches for those combat outposts to be built or for guys to patrol through the streets we were always on the deep on the offense yeah we were we were scanning we were hunting them we were bringing the fight to them yeah. and that changed like that i mean the local populace knew that like they knew when we were in they're like out of the streets right yeah. because if something was going to happen they they knew we we, we brought the heat yeah. and uh there was actually a book that, that they talk about that you know it's like hey the guys, you know, when we came in with the tan helmets, they knew what was about to go down. Yeah, and so the posture, um, that that default aggressive posture, saved us. I yeah. guarantee it saved our lives multiple times. And mm-hmm. you know, we weren't just patrolling to the streets; like we were active, like scanning windows, scanning alleyways, scanning door. You know, as you're you know going past stuff. And so, even if I don't see an enemy fighter, and I knew they were out there. They didn't know that I didn't know they were there. They yeah. thought, you know, all of a sudden now my gun goes from here to boom up into a window. Like we'd do that instead of just like walking, looking, yeah. you know, you know, present your weapon different ways and whatnot. And that we were actually attacked less than other units. Yeah. Um, and we
1: were out there more than anybody else. That's like uh, going from sitting ducks, you know, waddling through the street to fucking goddamn Jaguars, right? Yes. Like fucking re- just ready to uh, to pounce on shit. That's fucking awesome. Um, you mentioned Overwatch. I know uh, one of the neat components of of your career and story is that uh, you were essentially Chris Kyle's opposite. Yes. Uh, can you talk about two two things as it relates to that? Is number one is the for those of you that have, have read American Sniper or seen the movie, kind of if, if you can talk. Uh, a little bit to that in terms of what your relationship was uh, character-wise in, in in the movie and book, but then also on a broader scale, uh, what that was like uh, at that time. Because, you know, again, like I was back as as an instructor at that point, and uh, I remember hearing, because, um, you know, he and I were in Iraq on our, it was mm-hmm. his first deployment, my second, and, uh, you know, I remember him from that. I'm curious to get your take. Of what, what was that like from the driver's seat of being in that, you know, prime capacity as an overwatch sniper opposite him and and that whole that whole fucking deal um it was humbling it
2: was legit you know chris
1: was was a
2: great sniper we had a lot of great snipers in our task unit i mean tony euphrati was a platoon chief for charlie platoon and he was a sniper as well right and they knew how important snipers were and it was so unique because we came back from our first deployment we have a condensed workup you know meaning that we weren't going to have the normal 18 month workup we had to do a full workup and all the post deployment pre deployment leave all that stuff in 11 and a half months before Man. we pushed back out to Ramadi and they're like hey we need this many snipers and i got picked you know as one of the guys to get to go sniper i wanted to go you know that's all i talked about to the other snipers you know the, yeah i was always like trying to you know, that's what i wanted to do and we went through a, a short condensed school it was the nsw short sniper course and so we go through that sniper school which is funny because we didn't do the stalking portion and something else they never gave us official sniper certificates oh shit yeah so <laughs> officially i'm, I'm not, not, a not actually a sniper yeah. however i have more confirmed ki- sniper kills than all those
1: instructors put yeah. together but <laughs> whatever <not> <laughs> and so shove, um shove that on a, yeah, yeah that oh, your ass. oh
2: one of the instructors when we came home uh, he, he was just like he was pissed like he legitimately like was pissed he's like yeah. dude that's such bullshit and i'm like yeah uh, what, i don't know what to say sorry like what, what you helped teach me saved fucking yeah guys. that's wow. why i was like actually what you know what you taught me but he was just so bitter yeah. that he didn't he's you know i was like jealous. yeah okay cool whatever bro but uh you know so anyways we got through sniper school and they realized how important that training is and so we we would do any type of long-range training that we could like anytime it came up, right? Yeah. And then we find out we're going to Ramadi, it's gonna be an urban environment. And so we started trying to implement that into training, learning about that. Yeah, you know, I went to Home Depot and built out our urban sniper kits. Like we Shout didn't out have to that. Home Depot. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have that <laughs> at the time. There was no urban sniper kits yeah. that were issued to us. We were yeah. like, uh, we need all this, 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 this. Myself and another sniper went and we like so we built and designed the urban sniper kits for our task unit. And, you know, they're like, Okay, cool, go go make up like six of those so then we went back with the government credit card and <laughs> aisle you know, 13 yeah, the sniper
1: hide yeah, aisle. Exactly.
2: O- <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know got all that stuff and you know that was cool to be able to be a part of that and you know getting Chris's input on some of that because of obviously what he did in in Fallujah and um which was cool because Chris was like yeah cool run with it and he like t- he totally could have taken the lead on that right yeah. like Chris is the legend in the teams when it came you know from what he did in Fallujah and then uh, and then we go to Ramadi and and Ramadi, just hearing about what he was doing, and you know, I was—we were never in a competition. It wasn't—you know—it was cool. Like I didn't care who killed who. Like, who ca- yes, you're killing
1: bad, evil people. Like, as long it, as they're getting fucking smoked,
2: it's not—it doesn't matter, you yeah. know. And we had uh, really good snipers in our platoon. Like I said, the one guy, uh, calling the Badger, and he's still in, and he—he he was amazing. You know, and the only reason why. I was the lead sniper was because this guy was put in a position of leadership. He took over as our LPO because our LPO got pulled out to go do something else. And then he was also our acting chief for a couple, for a good portion of the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was just put in that position where I was the lead sniper. Right. And, you know, and I was just, I just, was on the gun at more because I was in that position and and so if you've read Chris's book or watched the movie you know when they tease him about the young sniper catching up to him that was me when I was 23 years old Yeah. That's and I turned 23 shit. right before we deployed oh, shit. and it's crazy you know I was our point man lead sniper machine gunner yeah. and I was only 23 years old just turned 23 <laughs> yeah
1: no I mean that's the same, I, same thing like I was I was a fucking kid you know and, and I look back on it now as somebody in my 40s and I think you're old you ain't got to tell me. <laughs> you're not telling me anything I don't fucking know I know that every time every morning I wake up I'm like oh my fucking god I'm old um but you know it, it's funny because I always remember growing up in the SEAL teams I was always the kid the baby the fucking young buck the you know whatever and now I'm like like where where what happened like the blink of an know. eye and now I'm a 40 year old guy and I look at, at these kids that are in their early 20s and I'm just like holy shit Like, I can't believe I did that when I was that age. Like, I don't know if I was just fucking stupid, you know, or or naive or both, you know, patriotic. Like, I mean, a a question I was asked just yesterday, actually, is, you know, why did you join the Navy? I was like, patriotism and naivety, (laughs) you know, like, but. Well, I think you're also, you're not addressing the fact that,
2: you know, that is what you were designed to do, Mike. You can't argue that. You know what I mean? You can't. And now we obviously have turds in the SEAL teams. There's turds in every unit, every organization. There's guys that slip through the cracks. We know a couple of those, you know. Yeah. But we were designed to do that. That is that is the plan that God had for us at that point in time. Yeah. That was a chapter yeah. in our life, right? Now, it was an awesome chapter. Yeah. And our current chapters right now are pretty badass also. Like, with what you've been doing, what I get to do with Echelon Front, you know, the... the I, I get to speak to people which I actually don't like because I grew up with a speech <laughs> yeah. impediment. Oh shit. I was in speech therapy all throughout school. I hate talking in front of people. It, yeah. I don't like it, but it's my new mission.
0: <laughs> I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
2: And I believe in what we do with Echelon Front. So I turn it off and I, I just tell myself it, it's, it's game time, right? Yeah. And so when I go up on stage, I just, I just flip that switch. Uh, but what I love, what I'm so passionate about, you know, cause I had a guy who was like, hey man, you know, when, when the, the love of the road gets old, let me know I got something for you. Yeah. It's not that I love being on the road. I don't like being away from my wife and kids. I don't enjoy that. I don't like being away from my jujitsu gym. Like, but I love what I do for the field training exercises that we do. Yeah, you know, and that's where we apply hands-on stress-induced training for companies that build and ingrain in our leadership principles. Yeah, and so I love that. Like, I that's not work to me. Yeah. I I love getting to do that, and because that's a part of what i did in the teams and with what you're doing it's a part of what you did you yeah. know what i mean and that was passionate to you and that's the same thing It you god designed you to do that in your past and god designed you to do what you're doing right now and i feel the same way yeah and that's what you know guys you know they don't realize is we did what we were able to do because that's what we were meant to do yeah you look at these guys that have won one you know, congressional medal of honor you listen to their stories and you're like what yeah But I know, I know you at the back of your mind, like when you hear those stories, you're like, I would love to be in that situation. Oh, yeah. I would love. Every Medal of Honor story I've I've ever read, I'm like, I'm a little jealous. I don't want the Medal of Honor. I don't care about that. I just want that situation. I want to see. Yeah. What would happen? I want to see yeah. what I could do. It's the same thing. You're in a bank, right? And you're like, yeah. "Please be robbed right now." <laughs> I know. Please, somebody try it. to rob this yeah. bank while I'm in here.
1: I see all these videos of like holdups at fucking convenience stores. I'm like, <laughs> I wish a motherfucker would just <laughs> <Please>. once, like <laughs> just one fucking time. Why can't you do? Why can't you try yeah. to
2: rob the lady right in front oh, of I know me? It. God damn it!
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. So
2: that's. I mean, that's just the way I've always I've felt, and you know, I don't. I know I don't live the greatest example of, as a Christian. But my faith has always been there and always will be there. And I, I, I try to be a better man every day for my kids and for my wife and for those that are listening to this podcast and are going to follow on social media and see what we do with Echelon Front and what you do with your company. I mean, that's why I think if we strive to do that, it's also a way that we can honor the brotherhood, you know, honor our, our brothers that we had to take the trident off our uniform and pound into that casket before mm-hmm. they went down in the ground. Yeah. And the amount of tridents that we've had to buy over the years is sickening. Oh, no. know it. It's, you know, I have an event I'm going to this weekend. It's a black tie event. And they're like, hey, you know, instead of renting a tux, like, we'd love to have you in your dress blues. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that'd be
1: awesome. And Shit, I, they don't fit anymore. Well, no, they, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're a little tight, but they fit. Um, but I realized I don't have a trident because yeah. the last time I wore my dress blues was at Seth's funeral. Yeah. And the last time I had a trident on it was when I took it off my chest and put it onto his casket, and I'm like, yeah. well, I I don't have a trident, I can't wear my uniform, yeah. you know. And so,
1: but thank uh, thank goodness there's Amazon, yeah, or Seven Eleven at this point, fuck <laughs> yeah, you get them no, just about anywhere. No kidding. You know, it, it, bringing that up, it, it certainly strikes memories for me of of going to countless fucking funerals doing that same thing. I mean that that tradition that's relatively new um, is something that. Uh, the the power behind that is is impossible to, to explain, uh, and, and just even trying to encompass the the emotions that uh, that are so elicited from from that experience, I won't even try to, to do it justice. But uh, I have never been a part of of anything anywhere near as powerful as, as that that procession of a of a seal funeral when when we take part in that. I mean, that uh, that whole process and experience is. Uh, well,
2: the funerals were always obviously hard for guys in our community. I mean, there's been funerals since yeah. you know the UDT days in Vietnam, you know. Yeah. But I think what made that so impactful is that I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that started with Mark's funeral. Mm, yeah, so. uh, I'm pretty sure that was the first time guys yeah. were taking their tridents off. Yeah, and EOD guys were taking their EOD pins off and putting it in the casket as well, which. It, guys were like, what the fuck is this? He's not trying. I was like, oh, that made me so mad. Like, no, those EOD guys are our brothers. You know what I mean? They were out with us on every combat mission, doing workups with us. Like, guys that said that, it it showed me that they did nothing in the community. Those were the guys that hit at training instead of deploying. You know, cool. Go, go be a really good athlete Mm -hmm. when guys are like in combat. Like, give me a break, man. And, and so, Seeing that at Marks and then being a part of it for the first time at Mikey's, uh, um, shadow what you just said. It was, it's so hard to explain. It's so emotional, and the reason why I think Mike and we can discuss this, or you can tell me I'm wrong, is what's some of the what's one of the greatest or the ones most guys proudest moments? Goodness, receiving your trident is receiving your trident when when a when another seal pins the Trident yeah, onto me. your uniform. There's nothing like that. No, I know. And then mean. I don't know if they do it anymore, but I know we had pinning parties. Fucking a, we did. I know you were at mine. <laughs> <laughs> you're a mean, mean guy.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah,
2: exactly. But when you have the pinning parties where guys are, you know, smashing that Trident into your chest yeah. and guys are walking around with, you know, a pinning parties, you know, you get the, your Trident pounded into your chest without the back. It's not going on your uniform. Yeah. The, the, trident's actually being stuck into your chest muscle.
3: Yeah.
2: And guys are like pounding that into you and every team guy there gets to punch it or they pull it out and put it back in there. Tony, your Friday was there as well. Yeah. yeah. And so anyways.
1: In the upper uh, deck at Danny's later doing the same goddamn thing. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, So that was such a proud moment. Yeah. I still have my t-shirt. I still have the t-shirt that I was wearing at the beginning of the night when that trident was pinned into my chest and oh, it shit. still has the blood on it and then you know you eventually end up taking your shirt off and just walking around with a trident stuck yeah. into your chest because that meant so much to us because we knew of the guys that had paved the way for us to receive that those those paths were paved in blood yeah. and those sops that we learned in training were were written in blood just like the sops that we have changed and instilled into guys and the lessons that we teach guys still to this day from what we do with echelon front they're not sops for combat it's now lessons learned that you can apply to your personal and professional lives and the reason why we're so passionate about it is because those lessons were written in blood yeah. and it's so that people can take those lessons learn from it and not make the same mistakes and yeah you're not in combat but the principles of these decisions that we make in life are universal whether it's in combat in the boardroom in your marriage in your relationship with your kids it's it's all very it all goes back and forth and so we understand how important that is. And so when you take that trident off your uniform, you ever see a team guy without a trident on his uniform?
1: Yeah. Ever? No, I mean, on, only at those funerals. That's and, the and,
2: only know. time. And most guys have a backup, right, so that they can put on later that day uh, because you just feel <clears throat> naked without it. Yeah. And you know, and so just taking that off and putting it in a, in a casket for you, for your brother, I mean, there's there's nothing like it. Yeah,
1: to me, I think the you know what it what it makes me think of is because it's such a uh, a proud moment and something that you know there's really no greater moment that that kind of sticks out. But. What it takes to earn that, you know, and how much blood, sweat, and tears, and, and emotion, and hard work, and dedication, and, and bullshit that you have enveloped into the the day that ultimately culminates in you being awarded that—it's part of you. Yes, it's you know that trident now is is symbolic to to what you've been through and your struggle and all this other shit. And so by by removing that and pounding it into that casket and ultimately it going out down into the ground, you know what I love about that ceremony is that. Is that in every one of those uh, caskets now there is a piece of us yes. that, that is buried with that guy, yeah. you know, and, and a symbol of of all of that, you know, that that, that gets dedicated to that and and uh, and ultimately put into the ground. And I think, you know, it's just it's such an amazing fucking you know yeah. part of of uh, of our community that I'm um, I'll be forever proud. Um, I'd like to back up just real quick. One thing you mentioned was your faith. I am curious. I'm not a particularly religious guy, but I am curious, you know, in, in your deployment, specifically as a sniper and some of the heavier gun gun battles you've been into, um, was faith something that, uh, that played a role in terms of uh, even just something as simple as you thought about as you're pulling the trigger, getting ready to whatever, or did it just never even really register?
2: I mean, do we, I mean read the old testament right i mean just look at i mean guy i mean there's been a lot of warriors um you know in the bible and throughout time and evil exists and evil needs to be eliminated there's no question about it and the evil that we were battling in ramadi was unlike anything else i mean it was at a full-on spiritual warfare satanic level of evil In Ramadi. I mean, it was absolutely disgusting. And not once did I ever hesitate or think twice like oh I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be killing somebody else. You know, I'm I'm at war, you know, and that's that's what happens at war. And that's what happens when evil exists. I mean, these guys were raping and torturing and murdering innocent people that didn't conform to their ideology. You know, before we showed up to Ramadi uh i want to say it was eight or nine maybe ten of the tribal uh elders in that region were tortured and murdered along with their families and so guess what the rest of the tribal elders did they fled so there was no order i mean they literally could do whatever they wanted and the local populace was so terrified of what could happen to them like they wouldn't even look at us sometimes and it took us coming back over and over and over and actually building relationships with the local populace. And, oh, you need water? We're going to bring water back to you tomorrow. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And we bring water back the next day. And they're like, you know, like, oh, you need gas for your generator? We'll, we'll, we'll patrol through the streets with gas because that makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. But we told them we were going to do something, we'd do it for them. Or, hey, yeah. we'd have our guys come back with their toolbox who were mechanically inclined and they would help. Some guy get his vehicle started and fixed so that he could move his family out of that area. Car's loaded up, they want to leave, but guess what the car doesn't run, so we're going to fix your car we're going to fill it with gas and help you get out of that horrible city. Yeah. You saw the good you know, and you see the innocence of the in those children mm-hmm. you know not once did to ever have an issue, yeah, you know the only issue I have is that I wasn't more aggressive over there,
1: yeah, I mean, I you guess know? I'm curious did it, did it play a role in any way? Like, was it even something that registered or was it, you know, was it something that you thought that kind of helped fuel the extermination of evil or was it, was it just kind of a non-factor or like, it was more of just a non-factor. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could
2: say, you know, it could, could have fueled it because, uh, but you know, but you, I mean, you say that and if someone's going to take it that I was like, <laughs> fucking modern
1: day crusader. Yeah. And,
2: yeah. They're going to, they're going to try to think it was some like, You know, just the way that people can perverse this subject. I've got to tread lightly, obviously, uh, because that's not what it was. It wasn't like, you know, me killing Muslims. Yeah. I was killing terrorists. Yeah. That's what I was, that's what I was doing. And I have buddies that are Muslim. Good people. Our interpreter wasn't a Muslim. And guess yeah. what? He killed a lot of people over there also. Yeah. Our, our interpreter was legit. He carried a full load out. He is, our interpreter, is. I'm friends with him still on social media. I still talk to him to see how he's doing. I would love to get him to the States. You know, yeah. I'd love to somehow find a way to help get him to the States. Yeah. And I'd have him live with me and my family. That's how much I trust this guy and I love this guy. Yeah. Dude, he killed more people in gunfights than probably all the frogmen combined <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating this guy's been on more combat missions and patrols than anybody else yeah mm-hmm. i mean insane i mean he carried law lot of rockets on his back for a guy like carry extra loadout extra gear i mean he was just yeah. uh, a true warrior yeah so it was never a religion thing it wasn't like oh i'm killing them because of this this and this well that's well then that's not what Christianity is like, yeah, right sure but it was I was I'm, I'm strong in my beliefs and I believe in God I believe that he has kept me alive when there are situations where I should not have come out on top and I know I know how I feel in regards to my faith
1: yeah no like I said I, know, I'm sure
2: somebody out there is going to try to twist well, what we just talked about but here's the good news cool.
1: they can go fucking choke themselves <laughs> you, you know I'm going to say it at least once every podcast yep. ladies and gentlemen is there a a specific instance or two that you uh, would be willing to share with the listener in terms of a, a specific gun battle or, or operation mission that you can kind of put us in the driver's seat that stands out in your mind as being one of those like, holy fuck, I can't believe we made it out of that type of moment?
2: Yeah, it was uh, it was on May 16th, 2006, and uh, the reason why I, I just know that date, is I mean that was a day that one of my Bronze Stars got upgraded to a Silver Star, which is just silly in my mind. It's like, man, I'd had this for ten years. Ten years later, the Navy, you know, Secretary of Navy was doing a review of all the all the awards that had been issued with Valor, and mine got upgraded to a, to a Silver Star. A handful of obviously other guys did as well um military efficiency you know, some uh, for well yeah 10, years, <laughs> 10 later, years later uh some of the silver stars guys in our community that had silver stars got upgraded navy crosses uh you so you hear those readouts and that was pretty awesome but uh you know so it was may 16th we were uh foot patrolling uh through ramadi and we we're in the malab district and um we were on north stadium road headed west and uh myself i was walking point Uh, a marine gunny sergeant was towards the front of the patrol with us and he bumped across to the north side of the road and so i bump across to be with them so he's not by himself and at that time as we're bumping across the street we walked straight into an ambush and we had guys shooting down from elevated positions you know from courtyards behind vehicles You you just i i opened up with my machine gun i was carrying the mark 46 which is a belt fed 556 five, machine gun the box of ammo on the gun it carries 200 rounds to
1: hornet's nest
2: oh it's is. amazing <laughs> you know, it's amazing and then i had you know multiple other boxes on on my on my chest as well and so returning cover fire um guys are making the calls they're peeling back to a courtyard that we just passed they're making their way into that courtyard a couple of iraqi soldiers got shot and so they're like you guys are grabbing them trying to pull them in there i mean it was straight up hornets nest, right? Yeah. Like you said, like we're there. And we had other guys in another Overwatch position that were like like they could kind of see what's going on, but they couldn't they couldn't do anything, right? That's how far away they were in the city. And so myself and the gunny were on the other side of the street and we're laying down cover fire. We're engaging guys. He pops around to the north side to hold up the north side. He's laying down cover fire. I think he engages a couple guys up there as well. And then all of a sudden you just hear just that gate shut it was crazy how loud combat was everything else that was going on like to hear that gate just just slam shut was you know look and you're like fuck
1: yeah (laughs) like we're out here by ourselves. do you know ballpark how many insurgents you were going at? i have no idea
2: idea. i would say you know not not a crazy amount it was uh, less than a dozen but when they're moving around and from multiple locations and positions i mean it's enough to make it suck right <laughs> and Everyone you know takes one. yeah and they're also shooting from inside of windows and rooftops and behind stuff and you know these these guys would use kids as shields man yeah. absolute coward savages yeah. they would pick up women and children they would hold them in front of them while they would attack us right yeah. but that wasn't happening during this incident but that's just the way they operated so anyways we've we've got to get back over there, across the street laying out cover fire and the gun he's like hey i'm gonna bump across you know, cover my movement and I'll cover yours. And so I'm laying down cover fire. He bumps across, but instead of going all the way to the other side of the road, uh, he stops halfway to start laying down cover fire for, so he can get a good angle of where he needs to be shooting. When he stops and faces West and starts laying down cover fire, he gets shot right above his kneecap Mm. and just blows out the whole back of his leg. Instantly he hits the ground Well, there's now they're shooting at him laying in the street, right? I'm getting shot at, like there's bullets ricocheting around me. There's bullets ricocheting around him. I look at him and I just see the the rounds like bouncing. And I'm like, if I go to him, I'm going to get shot, right? If I stay where I'm at, I'm going to get shot. Like I had to make a decision. I didn't. There was no decision to be made, though. Like, I had to go to him. He was bleeding out in the middle of the street. Those guys were in the courtyard trying to fight off enemy fighters from elevated positions. They're trying to f- deal with the wounded. Like they, They've got all this shit going on. The fog of war is legit. going Full effect. Full effect, yeah. And so I run out to him. I'm laying down my own cover fire. And I grabbed the the pole handle on the back of his body armor. I just tuck my mark 46 under my shoulder and start laying down my own cover fire, and I just start dragging him Some back. fucking
1: Rambo shit again slinging a lead from the hip. yeah I think,
2: yeah I, well, I mean it was I, there was no other option, yeah. you know I was just like that was the only way like I wasn't going to be able to sit there and roll on the ground, and get him up over my shoulder, yeah. or no you know, no. and so as I'm dragging him, there was a marine that. He wasn't in the courtyard and for whatever reason, he was outside on the street still. I think he was just right around the corner and I'm yelling, I'm yelling for guys like somebody help me, right? Like somebody get out here and help me because there's rounds ricocheting all around us. Like I'm trying to engage. I see we're we're getting shot at from multiple locations. Like I can't. Like, I, I, can't, I can't get him to the gate fast enough. He was a big dude, you know, and he was carrying a radio. He had his full loadout. I mean, he was probably close to 300 pounds when yeah. it came to all of his gear. Yeah. And so I'm just, like, trying to pull him, trying to pull him. And uh, I actually trip over the curb as I'm walking backwards. Uh, I thought I got shot, right, because now I'm, like, looking up this the sky. <laughs> like, I get back up. I'm pulling him, and the Marine comes out to help me. He gets shot in the body armor, stumbles back. Um, I'll show you when we after the podcast I'll show you a picture I have a picture of his body armor it was that high above the bottom of his body armor literally an inch and a half lower it would have gone into his abdomen and probably would have killed him and so he gets shot boom he comes back grabs him we get him all the way to the gate they open up the gate reach out they help pull us in pull him in we get him in there start applying pressure to the femoral artery trying to hold the back of his leg together i mean it's just like me putting my hands in mashed potatoes man it was just like just trying to stop a- the bleeding i remember all the, the medic training yeah. that we had you know from sqt and just everything thank god i, I still thought about like the intense medical training that we did in work us but even in sqt and i remember you guys telling us you win the fight first yeah you, you win to, the fight yeah. because if you don't win the fight, everybody gets killed. Yeah. You have to win the fight, get the guy to a position, then you can start working on him, right? And I just yeah. remember how crazy you guys made the medic training, just like just yeah. simulating blood and just throwing stuff on us. So we had to work through that. and That's what we're trying to do. And I'm yelling for the corpsman, right? And Seth is working both of his radios. He keeps like stepping up onto this thing to go over the wall to like return uh, fire and engage enemy fighters that were trying to move in the streets and get up to other rooftops around us I'm screaming for the medic like this guy is gonna die right yeah. he looks over well he's working on a handful of Iraqis that have been shot right and mm-hmm. so you talk about prioritize and execute our corpsman's is like uh okay boom this guy's about to die he comes over here I wish I could say his name and give him props but he's out but he's a very private guy so yeah. I just I respect that sure. he was such an amazing medic and what he was able to do I and mean, he absolutely saved that guy's life if he wouldn't have done what he did that guy would have died yeah. and as well as many other guys on that deployment and so we're doing all that stuff he takes on the medical stuff i'm like whew, wipe my face i am like, just just wipe the sweat off my face take a drink out of my camelback it was like the best drink of water ever right <laughs> and seth instantly was like jp i need you on the rooftop we have enemy fighters moving on our position later i need cover up top and i'm like yeah. Well, as I'm getting ready to move up to that rooftop, I felt my gun was light, so I stripped off the box, I put a new box on, linked uh like, you know, linked those the belts, you know, the belts together as I'm running up the stairs. I get up to the rooftop, I'm like, "All right, hey, you boom, I'm telling the guys where to go. We engage enemy fighters. There's guys that came up on the rooftops across the street that were trying to creep over so they could start shooting down in the courtyard." Cut those dudes in half through a machine yeah. gun. We engage more guys to the west, uh, and we suppress enemy fire. We kill them all, and and then he was able to call in the Kalashnikov, get the Gunny Sergeant out of there, get the other wounded guys out. Uh, but it's funny when I went up on the rooftop, guys were like like looking at me like something was wrong. I didn't realize it when I wiped the sweat off my face. I had all that blood in my gloves from the, <laughs> stopping <laughs> the bleeding.
1: So braveheart walking up
2: the yeah, <laughs> like so I think they thought I got wounded or something yeah. happened. Um, But it's, uh, you know, it's, yeah, that was, that was insane, you know, but all the other days weren't too far off from that. Yeah. And, you know, I just remember us realizing, oh, this is what it's like, you know, and we were there. I mean, that was like that from day one, but that was, you know, the big, the big thing, you know, the, and it was a couple of weeks prior, maybe it was just a week prior is when Cowie got shot. And that's when Mikey got Silver Star. Yeah. And the other guy, the Badger, got the Silver Star for what he did for, for what they did for Cowie. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was the first, that was hard when you hear your brother over the radio go, I'm shot, I'm shot. Hmm. Seth, this is Cowie, I'm shot. And you hear in the distance just, bu, 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 just massive gunfire. And you know that's Mikey because I, I know that gun. Yeah. And we're not close to him. Hmm. And we just take off. We're like, we clap security and we just were running through the streets, laying down our own cover fire to get to them. And that was another time that was just like, dude, like And that one was, it wasn't as intense because by the time we got there, You know, Mikey and this other guy had already killed the enemy fighters that were moving on them. Uh, Luckily, they knew where they were at. We knew where they were at. So Seth got on the radio while we were sprinting through the streets and was calling in the medevac for them and called in for Humvee and tank support. And they got there. But to hear your brother over the radio just this tone completely different. And then while he's talking on the radio telling us that he's been shot, Mikey's shooting his machine gun. So now you hear that machine gun fire come through the radio as well. It was it was a sickening feeling, man. Yeah. And it was just you, you feel helpless. Like yeah. you're like, I can't do anything right now. Yeah. The only thing we could do was to move them run towards a gunfire and, and just figure out what we're gonna be able to do when we got there. Yeah.
1: Fucking Christ, man, that's some intense shit. I mean, I know I remember being back on the strand while while that deployment was going on and getting bits and pieces of, uh, of some yeah. of the uh, after actions and stuff. And I was just like, oh. same thing. Like hearing some of the stories with the you know Medal of Honor recipients and stuff. I'm just like, those cocksuckers. Yeah, you know? I was like, God damn it, you know, like it's like you know all of the all of the moons are aligned like just right for you guys to have this epic and, fucking and it planet. wasn't like
2: we were any better than anybody else we just we were in the situation and we we did our job that's yeah. all we did And people are always like try to make it, make it seem like something greater or our task unit was something yeah. greater than we were i mean yeah we were a great task unit yeah I, I but think. that's because we believed we were and we put in the work. But yeah. we did, we were just doing our job. That's the thing people don't understand. We were just doing our job. That's what Chris would tell people all the time. And yeah, so I told people, I was like, I was just doing my job, man. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Nicholas that you had on your podcast, like reading his book, listening to his story, like, I. I want to be friends with him. <laughs> yeah, like, I want us, do. you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. You, you want to be friends you, with
1: everybody. Yeah,
2: I, well, that is true. I want to <laughs> be friends with everybody. But, you know, you hear those stories, and then he was like, bro, I was just doing my job. Yeah. Like, we're, no,
1: we weren't special. Yeah, well, I mean, I, again, I think it's humility is, is playing a big role in that. I think, you know, tasking a bruiser at, the, at that time, like, between the leadership and, and, you know, I think leadership plays a huge role for not just the obvious reasons of leadership, but also from a selection standpoint, is that, you know, having having your back and going to bat to make sure you're on deployment vice, you know, maybe some other guys that yeah. wouldn't have been as dependable. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I think leadership is multifaceted in terms of how big of a role it plays in terms of the of uh you know the the varsity caliber and magnitude of dudes that that end up in in those uh task units and squad and we, and we had to fire
2: guys before deployment yeah which is crazy
1: people I don't know. understand that like
2: we literally removed guys tridents from their chests sent them out to the fleet navy yeah. fired officers because they didn't perform yeah Same and here. i mean and that's what people understand is how important leadership is i
1: mean leadership is everything and and, and earning it every day You're earning that trident every fucking day, absolutely
2: now. you know and um and, but people get focused on – I was talking to one of my good buddies at the gym the other day, and he was like frustrated at work. And I'm kind of like, bro, step up. Step yeah. up and lead. He's like, oh, I can't – I'm like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. Because leadership is at every level. Leadership goes up and down the chain of command. Yeah. And it wasn't great leadership that we had from Jocko or the – the commanding officer at SIL team three, or the the general in charge of the battle space we were in. It was leadership at every level. Mm -hmm. That is what I think made Task Unit Bruiser stand out for all the other task units, is because Jocko instilled that into every single one of us. And the soldiers and Marines that we worked with were the same way, Mm -hmm. same way. They all stepped up and led. And the good companies that we work with, the companies that thrive, the companies that bring us in, to to work with them, it's because they realize that leadership makes a difference. Yeah, and yeah, everything.
1: Yeah. No. Amen. I, it's uh, a lot. A lot of really good good lessons learned uh, in so many different facets of that. Is there one uh, Overwatch sniper story you could share, uh, similarly in terms of made a big difference or sticks out in your mind as being, um, you know, a day that, uh, you know, is is more remembered than than the rest.
2: Yeah, I have a I have a couple that are up there. One of them, I remember, we we're up on a building. It's, I mean, we we engaged multiple guys that day, and um, yeah, that's why I have issues with TBIs and just the my pituitary gland is all messed up from all that trauma and, and stuff like that. Is you know, up on the rooftop, the wall was right directly right next to me, but I had to be that close to the wall for the loophole charge. I mean, you're shooting a 300 Win Mag. And I found one of my old sniper log books, and I mean, the... The, the the round that we were firing was 190 grains god
1: damn that's what's like 3200 feet per second
2: <laughs> Bro, and
1: then the, was, the energy out of that is fucking barn door so, in your ass
2: so think about it there's a wall there's a yeah. there's a, a mortar wall right next to you guess where all that concussion and blast is yeah, going right in your fucking right belt. back into your head right and so we engage a couple guys that day and i just remember every time i took a shot i just like oh just it was just killing me and so there's but there's multiple enemy fighters in this position they're down there, like hiding in this market and you can actually like see them in the market because i mean i had 300 win Mag that i was rocking with the night force scope which is the best glass out there by i mean you know uh, i've always wanted to go just talk with <laughs> night force and be like hey this is what your scope did for me on deployment yeah. thank you yeah. that's it you know what i mean just yeah. like hey thank you for making such a good quality product and uh anyways you have that large magnification boom zooming in we see the guys that are in there start engaging guys and so i tell the guys on the rooftop what's going on and they all come up and i actually found the video on one of my old laptops and mike who's with us now Mike Sorelli, comes up he law rocket he is standing right above me he fires a law rocket i'm on my weapon he fire engaging guys. He fires a law rocket. Machine gunners come up over the wall. Mikey and uh, the other guys are machine gunners. They come up. They're engaging. Then guys come up. Uh, with the, what was it the SBR? Yeah. 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 So they came up and they're you know seven sure. six two, and uh, is Seth and another guy they're engaging. Uh, Sorelli comes back up with another you know and they're just <laughs> and I'm laying underneath them like engaging guys at the same. It's all this stuff was going on at once. It was just. That was psychotic. Like yeah. that was crazy. <laughs> and, and,
1: and for the listener, if you don't know, a LAW rocket stands for uh, light uh, anti armor weapon. I think, yep. um, and it, yep. it's a sixty six millimeter fucking bazooka uh, <laughs> with a back blast that'll uh, make you shit your fucking pants. So, uh, not quite like the the AT four or the Carl Gustav, yeah. the eighty four millimeter, but still uh, packs a hell of a punch, especially in a in a closed environment. I you know, no wonder your fucking eggs are a little scrambled. Yeah. Um, so, so that
2: was one of them that were it was just like yeah you know was that anything that we've trained to do hell no not yeah. even close it was just one of those things that we you know just guys were like hey this is what we gotta do the everyone was reading reacting off each other and it was just you know one of the yeah. things that i remember mike like afterwards mike's like hey bro are you okay because i was just like laying there on my i'm sure i was like, like drilling huh? <laughs> on myself and um you know but we but we got those guys yeah. and we killed those guys that were trying to flank on some guys that were patrolling through the streets yeah. they were trying to set up an ambush and they had no idea we were up on this rooftop yeah. it was Fucking it was beautiful yeah. it was I so it. awesome uh and then another time um you know i missed a shot and that's a horrible feeling i Can missed really- a shot but i got right back on the gun and that's the thing i was i was just on a podcast last week and i was talking to these guys we we're doing some filming for origin they have you know like i was telling you that discipline the can go drink that they have coming out they're doing some stuff for that and we were talking about you know they're asking like have you ever missed a shot you know because guys are you know other snipers like i've never missed a shot i'm like well you're (laughs) full full, you're full of it bro uh but when we'd push ourselves in training to the point where you miss a shot right and to where when you miss a shot you need to feel that you need to recognize it's just it's hard to explain but if you do it enough times i know when i take a shot it's a miss like i know that it i it's going to be a miss but while that gun is in recoil you just fired off a shot you're off target your your head's moved around what can you be doing well you have to be efficient with your motions efficient with your movement and so hey bolt jet that round Chamber a new round, head, get it ready, finger back on the trigger, get, you know, my eye, find my eye relief again, get back on target and reevaluate, right? Yeah. And so I boom, I did it. I knew I missed. Like I just knew it was, a, it was a guy that was moving, it was a moving target. I knew that I missed. I got right back on the gun. And of course, you know, the guy hears he got shot at, so he's running. So now I'm having to take a shot on a guy that's sprinting. Yeah. And it just, everything, everything just clicked. Like the training that we did clicked in and i just remember adjusting my lead and as i was adjusting the lead and following him just pulling out the trigger and just blew out the right side of his chest as it it, you know entered in and spun him around and he was laying out in the street and i just remember like the feeling of that miss but not allowing that feeling to consume me because if i would have just been like oh my gosh i missed and did nothing well that would have been a bad guy that got got away. Yeah. He probably would have went and killed innocent people or killed soldiers and marines that were patrolling the streets. Yeah. And so I just remember feeling that, you know. Oh, that's um, a
1: fucking great lesson. The uh was that the 301 mag. Yeah. It? That 190 grain bullet for those of you that aren't super familiar with ballistics. I mean, that's fucking brutal. Um Yeah. To give you an idea like the the standard, you know, what you hear in the media all the time, the AR15, you know, the M4 that we shoot generally shoots a 55 grain yeah. green tip round, which is nasty in and of itself, but you're talking about you know, over three times the size, yeah. uh, size fucking round. And it's going the same goddamn speed. Uh, I am curious in, in bringing that up real quick. Uh, was that kind of your sniper rifle of choice or was there? So the SR 25 was actually originally my sniper rifle of
2: choice in an urban environment because you have a magazine of 20 rounds. Yeah. It can go semi-automatic mm-hmm. and I was our point man. So bold. if I was walking point to go do a sniper overwatch, I carried my sniper rifle. Yeah if I was walking point just to patrol the streets and I wasn't acting as a sniper, I carried the Mark 46 because yeah. why would I not want a yeah. machine gun in yeah. point? Or if I was in rear security, which I got into, I got a handful of my kills also just patrolling rear security. Cause they try to flank from behind and come mm-hmm. around yeah. and they cover, you know, and it's just like, dude, like you see them coming, you hear them coming over the radio, you, you, you know that they're coming and you just waiting. Right. Yeah. And they come around and, yeah. you know it's, it's a beautiful thing you know yeah. but for the urban environment the sr25 was awesome because yeah. i could shoot semi-automatic if i had to had a decent scope on the gun yeah. and it was a pretty accurate gun And in an urban environment you're not reaching out past a few hundred usually you know you know i have i have uh, longer kills, you know, at 870, which is long in an urban environment. It was just like one of those unique situations, but yeah, most of the time, you know, unless you're on the outskirts of the city where there's like fields or you know, rural areas that we operated in sometimes. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. you're going to reach out, but in the city, three, 500 yards. I mean, you know, yeah. and so the SR 25 was great for that. But then at the time we didn't know the sr 20, the, the dust cover was causing malfunctions. And you're in an urban environment, riding in tanks, riding the back of Browley vehicles. We'd load up in dump trucks and have them drive us into the city from base. And we'd offload the dump trucks, secure a building. So guess what? The dust cover is going to be closed, right? But then when you shoot it, it would cause a malfunction. And what was crazy is we'd known about that. The teams, I'm sorry, the teams had known about that for years, yet nobody passed that on. Like that was not like thanks, a thanks, buddy. Yeah, and so we found out we found that out in Ramadi, and so I was like, "Oh, okay." So when that was happening, I was like, "Man, I, I can't, I can't risk that. Like yeah. that can't happen. I can't get one shot off and then have to be clear and malfunction." Yeah. And so I just started carrying the three hundred Win Mag as my sniper rifle, and it's I mean it's much more effective and accurate than the SR twenty five. I could reach out. That night, force scope was insane it was absolutely amazing and so it was good and but then i was having a patrol with another weapon and carry yeah that 300 Win mag with that loadout and everything else like that and towards the end of deployment um i might have gotten a little crazy like guys were like bro like my derek you know i was like dude I'm hearing that you're patrolling with a 300 wind mag. <laughs> I was walking point carrying a 300 wind like mag, bro. Gun. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> That's hell? Great but, uh, Hey, I always had Mikey, you yeah. know, Mikey was always right by yeah. me and Hey, what's better. You yeah. know I mean? I'm gonna have the machine gun, start laying down cover fire and peel back. I'm going to I'm going to go imme- immediately to get the high ground. And, uh, but yeah, so yeah. 300 wind mag was, you know, It was an amazing, amazing gun.
1: Yeah. Did you keep track of uh, successful sniper shots?
2: Yeah, we did. You know, we we tried to, but there's a lot of times where, you know, we're just in firefights and engaging guys, and there was just, um, you know— you're not actually getting the shooters or you no, know, we'd get shooter statements obviously when we we're engaging guys and getting troops in contact and the little ticks, but you know, for the ones that they're being tracked as far as confirmed, you know, you had to have somebody else witness it and it was, you know, all that stuff as well. And so, yeah, we, we tracked as much as we could, but um, it was just what our task unit was able to do. You know, I, I know all the official numbers that guys have and we had as a task unit, but we also all know, that it was,
1: it Way was more far greater yeah. than that. You, you know, every asshole listening right now wants to know what that number is.
2: And my answer always is not enough. Not enough. I gotcha. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I don't, it was a good amount. Yeah. And I just, yeah. but it literally, the, the honest answer is not enough. Yeah. Right. It's just, yeah. That's, it one just my, wasn't.
1: that's one of my favorite answers. It's like, what do you feel when you, you kill somebody, somebody Fucking Recoil, recoil you know, the weapon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fucking, it's good stuff. Um, all right, so fucking tons of good uh, deployment stories. I know we could spend you know a, f- a few days talking about uh, cutting people in half and, <laughs> and not killing enough people and, uh, and everything. But uh, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of the the transition from you know coming back and getting out of the Navy and, and what uh, if you could kind of explain what that process was like, both just what took place, but then also where where your head was at because I know. For me and for a lot of guys like us, that that is a difficult transition to make, uh, one where I think for a lot of the veterans listening and, and you know, so many of you that I've talked to and, and had people ask me questions about what that's like of, you know, you, you feel a little bit lost, you know. I know for me, like, and the same as you coming in the Navy at, at 18 and getting out when I was thirty. Like, you know, that's like, we grew up in the SEAL teams, you know, and and so our entire adult lives, man, I went from living with my parents to boot camp to spending over a decade as a team guy. And then now I'm out, like, you you feel kind of fucking lost, you know, and and I'm curious to get, uh, you know, your experience of what that was like. I
2: mean, I was absolutely lost. You know, I got out to try to make things work with my current wife and be there for, for her and. The kids and you know she was going to move to San Diego, um, with uh, with Aiden. Aiden's Aiden's my stepson. I call him my bonus boy. You know, I he, and he <laughs> I consider him my son. He is yeah. my son. You know, and uh, him and his his dad and I we have a really good relationship as well. And, and so it's it's awesome. And so you know, Amanda and Aiden were going to move out to San Diego, and then she found out she was pregnant with twins, and she was like, ah, uh, you know. And I was pissed, man. I was really upset and frustrated with her, and I was super angry that she wasn't going to move there. But you know, she's a small town Mississippi girl. You know, now all of a sudden, her coming out to San Diego with Aiden was just going to be a lot. And you know, she's leaving her mom and all of her friends.
1: And did you, you know, meet her on a training
2: trip? Yeah, anything? I met her out in uh, in Mississippi yeah. when I was going out to Shaw's every other month and you know we're doing the long distance dating and you know anyway so that didn't happen and i needed to make a decision because i had been at the training command for in my mind too long you know Mm -hmm. and that's why i deployed to afghanistan when i was at the training command and i was trying to to go to go somewhere else within the teams or i needed to get back into a platoon and and give and 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 do what team guys are supposed to do which is deployed if you're healthy and able to do right and so that's the kind of where i was at and you know, I just, I'd already had a failed marriage and I just, uh, it was where I needed to be going, you yeah. know, and, and I i miss it every day. I hate being out of the teams, but at the time it was, it was what I needed to do. You know, there's a good amount of team guys are actually like legit pissed at me for getting out. And I was like, you know, I, at the end of the day, like I, I love the teams and I love the brotherhood and there's, you know, I, I hope that I live my life to honor, you know, our brotherhood, but my my wife and kids are going to be there until the day I die, you know? And I needed to put Amanda and Aiden first and our, our twin daughters that were on their way. Mm. And so that, that's what was my, decision to get out. And so I started doing sales at a financial company in Memphis, Tennessee. So you go from being an active duty Navy SEAL where your job is the absolute best job in the world. You get paid to work out and do combatives and shoot and blow stuff up and do mission planning and train guys and go, you know, it's the best job ever to, I am now wearing a suit and tie sitting in traffic, going to an office every day. And then sometimes I got to travel to do sales calls. It sucked. Yeah. Now I will say that the guys I worked with were awesome. You know, the company I worked with, I believed in our product. And so I enjoyed sales. I enjoyed also learning business and learning something new. And, you know, I was kind of drawn to that. Um, And I liked the aspect that you, you eat what you hunt. So Mm -hmm. if you're going to make a sale, you get paid. If you don't make a sale, guess what? You don't get paid, and yeah. so I really enjoyed that. Um, and the guys I worked with, um, the, the sales guys, you know, Heath was a former Marine, uh, Sam and Josh and Joe, and it was and myself. it was just us, right? For a big multi-million-dollar company, they taught me so much because, like you said, the teams is all I knew. Yeah, you know, I graduated high school and I, you know, living with my mom and dad, do construction with my dad that summer. Then I'm in the boot. I'm in boot camp. I'm in Seal Teams. The Seal Teams is all I knew as being an adult you know and now when your job isn't you know do what we did it it was they taught me a lot a lot about the outside a lot about business and just you know it was just it was cool so I'm forever grateful for those for those four guys and what they taught me Uh, one of the you know two of the owners of the company they're awesome one of them I still talk to regularly he was a very big influence in helping me just learn about life outside the military and, and the teams And so, I was lost though.
0: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained. Covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
2: And I had no mission, you know, uh, I didn't, you know, we're very mission driven and oriented and That's now it. I have a mission. Now you have a mission. I didn't have a mission when I got out and I was also dealing with my body, not producing testosterone because of the issues with my pituitary gland and the TBIs and everything else like that. So I had a, you know, I didn't know. It was a couple of years, man, that until I actually got on TRT. So, you talk about your body being completely out of whack, how it affects you, you know, the psychological effects of low testosterone is people don't understand how horrible that is.
3: Yeah.
2: I personally feel, and I've, everyone I've talked to that we've dove deep into this little rabbit hole agree with me. The issues with veterans and law enforcement and first responders killing themselves is because of low T. No, I would agree hundred percent. I will put everything on
1: that yeah. because or, of, or overwhelmingly. So yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. A yeah. large, yeah. a large percentage, you know, that if you fix that, it wouldn't be even be a thought process or issue for these guys. Yeah. But this isn't a podcast about that. So we'll, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it some other time with someone yeah. who's an expert on that, because I think that message needs to be heard and, and, and shared. And, and so that's what I was dealing with. Right. And so, I was a horrible father. I was a
1: horrible husband. I was a horrible friend to everybody around me. And I thought I wanted to talk to you about that, you know, for that couple of years at Numb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to bring that up to you. Not now that you're here and the and the mic's on. Yeah. Um, and I thought
2: MMA would be you know, would fill that void. Can I, then it helped.
1: Can I interrupt real yes. quick? The, did you uh, know about the low testosterone prior? Like, were you doing MMA while you were low? Yeah. No shit. Like, that's a, that's a weird I know. fucking dichotomy. Yeah, I and a lot
2: of people are like, I don't, wait, what? Really? Yeah. So, but, and I was just talking about this on another podcast. And I just was like, you know, it's crazy what the, the human body can do and what our brain is able to do is... I would literally have to do, I would sometimes be, my testosterone would be so low. When I finally went and got it tested, it was 81. God damn. 81. And
1: the normal range is like four to 800, right?
2: Well, 400 is low. That's when they start giving you TRT. The range for guys at my age at the time, early 30s, were supposed to be between uh, seven to 900. Yeah. You know, and if you get in the six hundreds, you could probably get some TRT because you're getting low. Four hundreds is like no question. You are boom eighty one. That is yeah. dangerously you're basically low. A chick. I mean, no chicks in junior high <laughs> had more testosterone than Fuck. I did. And so I was, I wasn't sleeping. I was tired. I literally, I could barely get through my day. I was drinking six to seven monsters a day. Oh, um, you know, it was just bad. But then I'd go to the gym to train. It was like the, that was a piece of the teams, right? Mm-hmm. That competition, just sweating, working hard, bleeding with your, you know, going, you know, just fighting with these guys and training for fights. I could, I could turn it on. It was really weird. Uh, but yeah, there are times where I was just, You know, I had, I wasn't even on TRT yet. Like I didn't know, you know, and it was, it was a real bad time. So all that stuff was going on. Amanda and I were just fighting. I mean, it was, it was horrible between the two of us. I mean, there's multiple times that I moved out and was actually living with a buddy out there. Uh, I didn't know anybody out there. You know, I moved away from everything I knew. I didn't have family out there. Uh, It was just, you know, it was a rough little transition, but it was nobody else's fault other than mine. You know, and that's the thing is guys want to transition out and they have all these issues. They want to blame everybody else. No, at the end of the day that was 100% my fault. I should have been more squared away when I got out of the military. I should have planned more. I should have done more research. I should have taken care of my body better. I should have done more stuff with medical in the military. There's all these things that I could have done, right? And for the longest time, I didn't go get my testosterone checked because of my ego. Yeah. I was like that ain't an issue. Yeah.
1: I got pl- I'm all man. Yeah, mother- oh yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm good. I'm good to go, you know, and it was just like okay, cool. That's like one aspect. Like yeah. good, you can have sex with your wife. That's great. However, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Right. And it was just all these other things that play into it. And so it was, it was rough. And then Amanda and I actually got divorced. No shit. Completely divorced, like full on. She served me with divorce papers because I was being such an awesome person to her. Yeah. And she was dealing with some stuff for herself. And we were, we were just horrible, selfish people. We didn't take the time to communicate we didn't put each other first like you're supposed to in a marriage in a relationship and we got divorced and i was still working at this financial company started making more money than i'd ever made before you know i was making six you know in the six figures and i was like you got to be kidding me i have a high school diploma like a military i'm now making over 100 grand a year like come on but i was miserable like the money that's the thing the money didn't matter like I didn't have a family. Like, mm-hmm. I only got to see my kids a couple days a week. Aiden, who I loved, I only got to see a couple days a week. And I still loved Amanda, you know, and, you know, we're doing our own thing and it just, we kept getting drawn back to each other. And we end up getting back together. Uh, we're, we go to church and um, there was a, we go to church together and there's a, a small group that they're advertising in the church and they had one for couples. Long story short, she was just like, hey, you know, I think we should do this. And I was like, yeah, we should. And if it doesn't work, we are completely done. Like if we, if we go to a small group at church, that's four couples yeah. and we still can't figure it out. You and I just need to be best friends yeah. because I can't do this back and forth. You can't do it. And, and she was wore out. Like what I put her through when weird divorce was just unfair. Right. Yeah. It, I was, it was just bad. And she couldn't take it, and yeah. she didn't deserve that anymore. Yeah. And so we make it work, and we figured it out, you know. And then also, at this time, Extreme Ownership came out, and I read Jocko and Lace book, and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like everything that I knew from the teams, I never applied to my marriage, not once. Yeah, not once did I ever apply what made me a good seal. And I'm not being cocky. Like saying, oh, I'm a great seal, but you know I was, a, no, I was good in the, in the seal teams because of what I was taught from Jocko and Leif and those guys. No, not once it. did I ever do that with my family.
3: Yeah.
2: It made me disgusted in myself because you know. And I remember one time a man was like, "You've never quit in your life except for you quit on our marriage. Yeah. You've never quit anything else, but yet you just you quit on our marriage." And I was just like, "Okay," and it was true. Yeah, you know, and I was just like. It was just bad, but, you know, and I will say, you know, she took ownership of her stuff as well, you know, and we, we both worked on it and it's, it's been rough, you know, it's been, it takes time, you know, and we still stuff we deal with and struggle with, but us learning how to communicate has been the absolute deal breaker in, in, in a good way, yeah. right? That's what got us away from game changer all that stuff. The, yes. Yeah. The game changer was, yeah was that like i said I don't, I don't like talking in front of people and i know people yeah. are listening so i mix up words in my mind sometimes <laughs> i'm like that was a deal breaker yeah, you're like that's hey what, idiot that's, that's what i'm that's here a, for that's a game changer i, I, do, I do it all <laughs> the time
1: yeah um it, you know it's interesting you say that because the there there's so many elements in in dog training and, and when i was on jocko's podcast it was you know he he was like you know reading through your book team dog he's like the parallels between, you know, human and canine leadership like are exact, you know, the medium in which you apply them are obviously different, but, but the principles behind them are the exact mm-hmm. same thing. And, and I've found myself same exact shit, you know, like I preach over and over to people all goddamn day long. Like you need to do this. You need to not do that. You need to fucking take care of this. You need to you know, whatever. And then sometimes when I, when I hold myself accountable and, and, and self reflect, I'm like, Fucking Christ! I need I need to slap the shit out of myself and take my own goddamn advice. You know, like yeah. I find myself saying that regularly. Um, you know. Well,
2: you know, one of the, one of Leif's one of the things that I love the most that Leif says is, it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate." Yeah, and that applies to our own lives, yeah. and that's what I have really taken that on heart. It's like, hey, you know, obviously Jocko's discipline equals freedom is, I mean, that's. Literally life changing for people. Yeah. When people realize and understand how you can apply discipline to your life, it'll change your life. Yeah. Just as important is is, is what life says. It's yeah. not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. Yeah. And that's with your teeth and with yourself. Yeah. What do you allow yourself to get away with? What what are your standards? do you actually hold the line when it comes to your life? And, you know, you say all this stuff, but what are you actually doing? And, and that was, that's been a game changer for us as well, you know? And so I I left the financial company I was working at because I wanted to do something else. I wanted to teach law enforcement tactics, training and shooting and combatives. I was just drawn to work with them and help them. And so I started a company called Never Settle Consulting. And uh, I got that from just, you know, the mindset that we had in the teams was never settle. You never settle for average. You're right, we're always pushing ourselves, we always hold each other accountable, and I was hoping that would be like a lifestyle type of brand, you know, yeah. one day. And I've actually had guys that have gotten like the company logo tattooed on them, and that's I, I thought right. it was pretty cool, yeah. uh, And it, creepy,
1: no.
2: yeah, yeah, and then it, <laughs> I always thought it was super cool. And um, and then uh, it morphed into an apparel company because the shirts that I was making up for the shooting classes and stuff that I was doing, people were like, Hey, can we buy those? and I was like, Uh sure so i made a facebook post and one of my best friends that i grew up with danny he actually lived out in this area he had an apparel company and um i make the post and i'm like hey you know this is what i'm thinking you know his wife designs the t-shirts we had 107 orders not 107 shirts but 107 orders within a week yeah and i let him know the numbers and he's like I think you might have just started an apparel company, yeah. bro. <laughs> like and so yeah. he starts making all my shirts, we start making hats and like I'm doing I'm selling t-shirts and hats, right? And now yeah. I'm going to MMA fight shows to sell t-shirts and hats and I'm doing this to help make ends meet, to cover bills, the rent, the truck. I was uh I was an extra in Transformers 5. I actually played a Navy SEAL, which is funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did some advising for the movie and so it it was really cool. Uh, but i made made a lot of bad decisions you know I made a lot of emotional decisions when it came to business and as yeah. I'm sure you're aware that's, oh, yeah. that's the kill destroy you yeah. and i was I was never very logical I was always a very emotional person and um, you know that's one of the things that life has really helped me just work on over you know the years and especially now working with echelon Front, is just being just stepping back detaching being being logical yeah. in my thought process yeah and um, you know I learned those lessons and put my family in some very hard, bad positions, man. I mean, and it was to the point where I was, you know, waking up on Wednesday mornings at 3, 3.15 in the morning. I was driving up to Nashville to work construction with my buddy. I would sleep in an extra bed that he had up in his attic. And then I'd do that wednesday thursday friday friday i'd get done with work from him i'd drive back down to south haven i'd see a man and the kids whether they're at her parents house or our house love on them a little bit and then i'd go deliver pizzas until 12 or 1 in the morning no shit yeah and i was doing that to make extra money Uh, the tips is the extra money that i needed for my family and i was doing it like i was rebuilding fences on the weekends Uh, i was even like spray painting like in front of like houses like So the address could be on the curb, you know, put a little layout, put the white spray paint down and then put the numbers over it and do the black. And that's why I'd charge people $20, do a couple handful of those a weekend, make an extra couple hundred dollars. I was just anything I could to make ends meet for my family. Uh, and you know, was I frustrated? Yeah. But guess what? I put myself in a position and it was about this time that I had the opportunity to start working with Jocko and Leif. And it was just, you know, I had to make that decision of What was I going to be all in on, you know? And I remember I came home from work one night from delivering pizzas, and that night I'd actually been—I was helping clean up, do the dishes, and all this other stuff, um, which is crazy to think about—is what I did in the military, my career. And then I'm delivering pizzas, and I'm cleaning out a clogged drain in the back of the kitchen, and it's all full of just disgusting just dirty water because these young kids working there don't understand that you can't shove food down the drain yeah. and it'll claw, you know? And so I'm you can't throw it your
1: tampons down. Yeah, the,
2: I was just like, it was so disgusting. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm like up to my elbow in this deep sink water. And I was just like, I just laughed at myself. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like you're, I could have been done when I was done delivering, but I was staying an extra hour or two so I could get that extra six seventy five <clears> an hour. Because that's what I needed. You know what I mean? And I was like, I was so frustrated with myself. I wasn't mad at anybody else. It was 100% my doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I go home that night and I sneak into the house so I don't wake up a man and the kids with the garage door opening up. I just park the truck out in the driveway, (laughs) come in the front door. And I remember looking in the bedroom. Uh, we, We lived in a two bedroom house with five kids, which, hey, I'm not complaining. It's not a bad environment. Other people live in a one bedroom house, right? Or a studio that doesn't even have a bedroom with their families. I get it. But I remember looking in there. Aiden's in his bed. Amanda's laying in the bed on the floor with the girls on either side of her. She's just wore out. You could tell she's stressed. You know, I've been gone all week. I'm gone that night. And I was just, I got, you know, I I got super upset with myself and I had tears in my eyes. And I'm looking at my family and I'm wondering, like, what in the hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And it was, I made the decision that night that I not was, it was not going to happen anymore. Right. And so that's when I started studying everything I could about business. Right. I was fulfilling online orders for never settle until three in the morning. I was learning how to do like advertising online for never settle. I was trying to, you know, do as much as I could to help Jocko and Leif and come on board with them. And it was at that time that they were bringing me on board. So I was listening to the podcast, listening, studying business, watching videos of people speak, watching videos of Jocko speak, watching videos of Leif speak. I would listen Listen to audio that I recorded of Leif giving his presentation, of Jocko giving his presentation. I would four, five, six, sometimes up to eight hours a day, I would listen to their presentations while I was clicking through the presentation myself, making it my own. And I was all in. I mean that's all I would do because I was so fed up with where I was at that I had to make a decision. Yeah. you want your life to change? get to work yeah don't hope it's going to change don't think it's going to change don't wish it's going to change you actually have to take action you know and it was until i did that and took action that my life was just i was existing and Mm -hmm. now i can say two years later and just think about that was two years ago that's crazy two years ago this month i have a picture of in my phone i saved it as a favorite you know this month two years ago I was delivering pizzas. I remember taking that picture and sending it to Jocko and Jocko was like, fuck bro. He's like, stay on the path. It's going to change. Cause that's right when they are bringing me on board, right? Mm. But hey, nobody wanted JP Danell to come speak to their company. Why would you when you could have Jocko or Leif, right? And it was gonna take some time. I was gonna have to build up my name, my reputation and do the free gigs and do the gigs that barely paid to build it up just like they did at the very beginning. You know, now you want Jocko to come talk to your company for an
1: hour keynote. You it's 82 a, grand. You better take out a second goddamn mortgage. Yeah,
2: same with life. You know, life's <laughs> yeah. super high up there. You know, it's yeah. like, but guess what? The value they bring is worth it 10 times for yeah. if your company actually applies what they talk yeah. about, right? And so I knew that's where I was going to be. Like, yeah. I knew one day that's where I was going to be. So I w- it was ready to get to work. And the most important thing is Amanda and I sat down, and we were on the same page and we said, hey, it's gonna take a lot of hard work. Yeah. It's gonna take a lot of sacrifice. This is our goal. And we went, you know, we came up with a game plan together. She has ownership of everything I do. She helps me out. The kids as well, like you know, they know I'm going on the road. They'll help me pack little things once in a while, or yeah. they'll leave me notes. And you know, so two years ago, it's crazy. Two years ago I was delivering pizzas. And then now, you know, last week I did a keynote with O'Reilly Auto Parts. To seven thousand people here in Dallas. Yeah,
1: that's. I mean, like that. That fucking story and that transition is is incredible, man. I mean, it really is. Like, I'm proud as fuck I appreciate uh, it. of everything that you've done. I mean, I'm just
2: so, but I'm so fortunate for the opportunity that Jocko and Leif gave me. Yeah, you know? no, I sure. mean, And, you know, and being able to work with guys like Dave Burke, you know, Dave Burke was a Top Gun fighter pilot with us in Ramadi. No shit. He was on the streets who patrolled with us in Ramadi. It just, he's another instructor. And then Flynn Cochran I actually was Flynn's buds instructor. You know? No shit. And then he came through <laughs> when I was at trade Ed, and, you know, he, grad, he got out of the sealed teams. He went to Harvard Business School got his business degree from Harvard. Yeah. I mean, one of the just insanely smart guys, went on was a consultant with McKinsey Group, Mike Sorelli. you know, we're bringing on two other guys that, you know, are still in, so I'm not going to say their names, but like those are the guys I get to work with. You yeah. know, and I was thinking, you know, in 2017, hands down, the two most influential people in my life was Jocko and Leif. Yeah. No doubt, right? No question. And then I was thinking about the other day and I saw pictures, myself and, Flynn and Dave at the muster and in 2018 the two most influential guys in my life were Flynn Cochran and Dave Burke because of what they invested into me and not only just from a friendship standpoint from from just like knowing i don't know what they know when it comes to business Mm -hmm. but the amount of time that they put into me to work with me to help me just to be there for me no matter what like anytime i had a question or just conversation those guys hands down when it comes to being a husband a father uh, uh, in business like those two guys are the most influential you know just because of the time i spent with them and there's other guys you know, that obviously we're very high ranking up there as well. But when you when I really step back and look at who put in that time and effort, it's boom. And it's crazy. Like, I, I'm excited. Like, who's it going to be for 2019? Yeah. You know, and it's like you, you're, you're a reflection of the, of the people you spend the most time with. Yeah. The, the, they say that, the top five? Yeah, it's, it's well, true. Sure. I mean, yeah. there's no question about it. And, you know, there's been, I've had to change the the people I hang out with and spend time with, you know, obviously I saw my best friends out here in Dallas. You know, that's a big reason why we moved here was my buddy, Steven, Dane, you know, their families, Me. you, because we <laughs> see each other so often. Yeah. We um, hang out all the fucking Yeah, day. I know. <laughs> you know, there's those guys that, you know, I've just been super close with over, you know, last eight, 10 years, yeah. but from growth, you know, it was, it was Flynn and Dave. And yeah. it, it was just, I'm so fortunate. That's the thing. I don't, I'm not, oblivious to the fact that i'm fortunate to be in this position i'm fortunate to have those guys have poured into me and now it's cool because i get to do the same with other people i don't obviously i'm not at Leif, dave or flynn's level but it's cool like i you know i got asked to sit on a board of advisors for a foundation that this army vet started yeah. and you know he's a teacher up in oklahoma he has his uh foundation no surrender and he purchased an old like wore out building up in the middle of this small town in Oklahoma where he's a teacher at in the city. And he's transitioned it into a rec center for the youth so that kids have a place to go hang out and work out and not get into trouble. And they teach them life skills about, Hey, this is how you brush your teeth. Cause you guess what? Your parents have never taught you that. Yeah. And this is how you work out and this is good diet and nutrition. And they're going to have dentists that come in and help out and do all this stuff. Like, so for him to like, reach out to me and like ask for advice so that I can help him, like, dude, that's so rewarding, yeah. you know? And so just to kind of help with other people as well, it's just, it's crazy. You know, yeah. um, you know, I learned this from a guy in business a long time ago, you know, you change your friends or you change your friends. Yeah. So You always have to be leveling up, and that's. People might think you know you might be maybe I'm being an an a hole, right? You know by 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 not hanging out with some of the people I used to hang out with. But I have my goals. I know where I need to go in life. I know what I need to do, and I have to continuously be level up. And if if you don't have that same mindset and goals for what you want to do in life. I'm sorry, we're on two different paths. It doesn't mean that I don't like you. It doesn't mean that we can't hang out and talk once in a while. But the majority of the time i must spend is with people who are trying to constantly make me better yeah. and push me to be better. Yeah, And sure. that's why I love jiu as well.
1: Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's humbling as fuck. And, and so is, <laughs> I mean, life is, let's be honest. But, no, I agree. I mean, that... I love the saying: If you uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong fucking room. Yeah, I, you know, like, yeah. I mean, always surround yourself with people that are better than you, that are more motivated. You know, whatever yeah. that are just going to push you to to be better. It's that's great advice for sure. I, I am curious. I'm, I'm thinking about when when you came with uh, with I think it was with Aiden to pick the dog yes. up. Was that at that same time? Like, was that yeah. Was that just after you kind of came to the your senses, so to speak? Um,
2: no, no, no. So Amanda and I were. Yeah, it was it was just after that because I remember, you know, we're all in that small house and yeah. you know, we came to get Trigger and, you know, you and I had been, you know, talking back and forth on social media and I told Amanda and I'm like, so, hey, I know. <laughs> I've got a good
1: idea. <laughs> you know, I know we're in this
2: small house, you know, like we didn't, we didn't have a a, a dining room because yeah. my desk and we were you know, had a little office in that area, right? I mean, yeah. we, we ate on T V trays in front of the couch. Like we didn't have a dining room to sit as a family. We didn't, you know, it was just and now all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, now I'm gonna bring home a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like shaking the sure oh, head. You gotta be kidding me right yeah. now. But you know, she you know, my wife knew about you, I talked about you, she you know, she knew the quality of the dogs that you you know you have and you do and the fact that it would be good for the family and with me traveling you know it's, yeah. it's a good thing as well so yeah. um yeah it was it was a little bit after that time <laughs>
1: yeah uh, was, as you're you're saying i'm like fuck i wonder if that was the same time like god damn that's a that's a hand grenade of a fucking situation in some respects but but i love it um yeah in terms of speaking of leadership um, one thing that I think would be great for the listeners to hear is um, is there one lesson that you could say you drew from your combat experiences as it relates to leadership now that, that you pass on stay humble
2: I mean life is I mean you just said it life is humbling you know and if you if you don't stay humble you will be humbled and I like to try to be in control of my environment as much as I can My life tends to work out better when I'm in control, just like you're you in control of your environment. Anybody that's listening, if you're in control of your environment, it's always going to be better. Well, if you don't realize that life is going to humble you and it catches you by surprise, it's going to set you back. You have to have contingency plans. And that's one of the things I loved about the SEAL teams is we never plan to fail. But we had a plan if we were to fail. Yeah. We always had a secondary and tertiary plan, right? Yeah. Now you don't want to go down that rabbit hole of the what if fairy, right? Yeah. Oh what if this happens? What if this happens? What yeah. if this happens? No. We always had two to, you know, an extra, you know, we had a secondary and tertiary plan, just like our weapon system, right? I have my primary weapon, I have my secondary. If those both goes down, I have my knife. Yeah. It's going to be real bad if and, I'm pulling out hand grenades <laughs> and, 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 and a knife. Yeah, But we had those. Yeah. And guess what? We would use them if we had to. we get yeah. trained up on how to use those. Now, do we spend a lot of our time training those? No, because that's not what we're primarily yeah. going to be doing. So focus on your plan. You know, like we say in the in the teams, you know, plan your dive, dive your plan. Yeah, you know, and 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 just stick to that, and and detach. Yeah, you know, and you know, I've seen it on the outside. I've seen egos destroy everything. Great, I've seen Mm -hmm. it destroy families. It destroyed our family, right? And thank God we had a second chance. I've seen it destroy multi million dollar companies. And you and I have seen guys that could have been great in the SEAL teams, but their ego. Oh yeah. Destroyed them Mm, and everything was taken away from them. And now you see guys on the outside who just flat out lie about everything they do because of their ego. That's the only reason why they're doing it is their ego. And so you have to be able to check your ego and be humble. There's always somebody better than you. There's Mm -hmm. always somebody smarter than you. There's always somebody that's going to have the upper hand. And so with that being said, you need to be training. Yeah. You need to, tra- whatever you're doing in life, you can train to be better. Whether it's reading a book, whether it's studying the market that you're in, whether it's, you know, being a better husband and wife, whatever you can do, you can do something to improve yourself. And yeah. so, you know, that wasn't just one thing. I tied them all together, <laughs> all but what do they all fall under humility yeah. and you have to be humble
1: yeah. because, well, yeah, cause you're not going to train to get better if you think you're the best, you know? And that's, exactly.
2: If you, you don't, don't have humility, you never do a self-assessment. Yeah. And if you can't do an honest self-assessment you're never going to make the decision to change yeah. and on, outside of that where are you going to do it? It comes from being disciplined yeah. so you have to be humble and you have to have discipline.
1: Amen. that's oh, all great shit. I love it. Um, moving into the next chapter, uh, I always like to ask kind of a, a what now type of question. I mean what um, obviously the, the uh, credentials in terms of what you're doing fresh on front uh, essentially speak for themselves but what uh, what now? um what's 2019 look like for ginormous package <laughs>
2: 2019 is very busy i already have stuff on my calendar in october No
1: oh, shit booked out yeah and it ain't halloween folks
2: nope no no it's not <laughs> at all you're quick today um you know actually technically i have stuff in december because we're going to be in australia in december for the muster no
1: shit yeah we're doing we're a muster in australia yeah. yeah speaking um, of which just a real quick there's a social media um Supporter of mine from New Zealand. I want to give a shout out to New Zealand. I I promised him I'd do that, but awesome. Anyway, fucking
2: hey, come on over to Australia and see us at the muster. Um, But anyway, so 2019 um, is you know, I'm going to be real heavy on building up our field training exercises. Uh, So they, obviously I'm still going to be speaking, doing keynotes, half day workshops, full day workshops, joining in on the leadership development alignment program we have. So we have the LDAP. It's where that is, that's a long-term strategic partnership that we do with companies where they'll bring us in to do a full on two day assessment. This is what Flynn and Dave have really built into Mm -hmm. just phenomenal amazing consulting that we're doing with our clients come in and do an assessment and then it's either depending on what their budget is and what and or what they need it's either gonna be a six month nine month maybe up to a 24 month partnership where we're doing on-site visits skype calls phone calls you know just you know boom 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 doing all that stuff so i i help with that but that's not my primary focus my primary focus is the ftx's which is the field training exercises that we do and that is To to simplify it, it's just hands-on, stress-induced scenario-based training where let's say I'm going to work with your company and you have 20 people. And we're going to do a full day or a half day of classroom work, where we actually do we go through extreme ownership, the dichotomy of leadership, all the principles, the laws of combat, the mindsets to victory. We'll do a, a self-assessment. We we'll do some you know interactive uh, exercises with the people in the room, and then we read you in for what's going to happen the next day. We actually read you in on the mission, what the rules of engagement are, what's what's going on in that area, and then that next day we're at a facility and we're we're
1: actually doing kicking people in the nuts
2: yeah yeah no, <laughs> we're actually giving you intel and you put together packages you know i'm going to give you an intel package and you're going to take that package and put together a mission and you're going to actually going to go out and you're going to do these capture kill missions against my role players oh, and my shit. role players have scenarios that they are going to dictate and drive to help instill the leadership principles the laws of combat and the mindsets of victory that we teach with echelon front. Yeah, So it's all hands on. And the biggest, most important thing from that is when we come back from the run, we debrief it and we tie it into what they do for business. Yeah.
1: Have you had anything go totally fucking sideways doing any of those things? Mm -hmm. Like has there ever been like a Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Like people that just lose their shit or, or can't handle it or, you know, like any any kind of, like kind of, but it's, I
2: mean, it's in a controlled environment. It's in Airsoft or we have these laser tag systems that we invested into. Mm-hmm. Like they're, it's insane how the capabilities that we have with these laser tag systems. Um, and so we have had it to where it just was like everything fell apart, but that's, it's that's also, supposed to, it's supposed to, Yeah. at what level that depends on the individual. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we have all these parameters where it's like, okay, Hey, we are getting close to to going, yeah, we're going close to the point to where they're not actually learning anymore. Yeah. Okay, we've reached it. Boom. And we call it and we'll just debrief right then and there.
1: It's almost like the Sear School like training timeout, like, all right, you're fucking dead. Let's let's pull it back. Yeah,
2: and, and we've had to do that a couple of times, but it was awesome because they learned, you know, it oh, was yeah. awesome. Like, hey, you know what? Stop. And what was cool about it is we did that they brought it back to what they did at work. And they're like, hey, we have stopped the jobs, right? If something is unsafe and something's going downhill, everyone stops what they're doing. Why do we not do that more? Yeah. Why do we not, because of ego, ego right? Yeah. And the, these guys tied it into that. And so the most important thing what we do is we tie our debriefs into everything that they do. Yeah. Everything that we do ties into what every company we've ever worked with. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, I've got a contract with a client who's going to be 15 weeks 15 weeks God, of these FTXs. That's 1,500 people we're putting through this training. We do 100 people on Monday in the classroom, and then it's 25 new people on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, throughout the week, and that's all randomly throughout the year. It's not 15 weeks straight, yeah. but I'll be doing that up in Michigan. Jesus. And then we have a handful of other clients there where it's just a two-day thing. Uh, and so that's that's 2019 is building that up to where it's a, just a uh, – just a separate department, right? Yeah. Just like our LDAPs are a department, our keynotes and workshops are a department. It yeah. just, I building the FTX up to where it's a, just a strong foundation for what we do with echelon front. Yeah. Um, oh, it's fucking yeah. great, man. No, I love it, man. Yeah. It, it's no, great. I mean, it
1: shows. And I mean, those lessons are so, it's so powerful and, and impactful and important, you know, not just for us as military guys, but obviously the crossover into business, the relationships, coaches with their athletes, you know, husbands and wives, you know, fathers and mothers with their kids. I mean, you name it. Um, it's, it's it's awesome. It's
2: very rewarding. Yeah. You know, is it fun? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it's it's so ridiculous what we get to do. Yeah. But the rewarding aspect when you have leaders tell you, you know what? I've been failing my team for the last ten years. Yeah. This is what I'm taking back to work. Sure. This is what I'm gonna do tomorrow yeah. to 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 be better. you know it, yeah. it's it's awesome to hear that. And uh, one of the companies we were working with, um, they're in an industry where they deal with human life like we did in mm-hmm. the, in, in the teams. Uh, and they had an accident and somebody got killed. Well, the leaders of that area had been through our training earlier that week. And when the executives showed up on site for this fatality, they said it was 180 degrees to what it had ever been before when okay. an injury and fatality happened. And they said these guys all had everything under control, they owned everything, and they actually told them what they needed to go do. And, you know, they said it was completely night and day. Yeah, that's awesome. And if you're familiar with how the union works, not a lot of union individuals like to do more than what they're supposed to or even what they're supposed to or what they're supposed to because they know they're protected (laughs) and it wasn't the case with these guys these guys are union yeah and they're like nope i own this but there was no finger pointing there was no blaming and the president of the company i'm sorry the ceo of the company sat down with one of the union presidents of that region and said what do we need to do to make sure that this never happens again Like we can't, you know, you can't lose somebody. Like you said, one is one too many, right? Somebody getting injured, I mean, that's just not acceptable. And this union president said, we need to go all in with Echelon Front's FTX training. No shit. Because that's going to save lives. And is that the 15-week? Yeah. 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 And so we've already done four full weeks with them. Now we're doing 15 in 2019. And so I don't say that to like pat myself on the back for what we're doing, but just... Like that's what I love. That's why I love what I'm doing is because, yeah. when you, that's fulfilling. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to is like yeah. I, it's the closest I've had since the teams is as far as fulfillment, because you know you're you're making a difference. And if we mm-hmm. can take the lessons that you and I have learned overseas, the lessons that our brothers died for, it's for us to be able to learn, and we can apply it to somebody's personal and professional life, and they can not make the same mistakes. They can be a better husband, a better. Wife, a better father, a better mother, a better dog a better owner, leader, a better dog owner. <laughs>
1: Team <laughs> dog, dot <Yeah>. pet. Yes, <laughs> a little fucking shameless plug. <laughs> no, it's,
2: it, it, it's yeah. Anything we do, right? That's what's that's yeah. what's needed. And so yeah. to know that we're able to do that—that that I'm a part of what Echelon Front does—is is incredible. Yeah.
1: No, I, I love what you guys do. I mean, the the credentials that you guys have, the the crew and staff that you have running it speaks for itself. I mean, it's. You know, varsity squad pipe hitters at every level. I, I love what you guys are doing. I'm proud as fuck of all of you. Um, I can't wait to see what uh, you know where you guys go in the future and uh, and keeping tabs on that. I I love it. Um, and I mean,
2: we also just launched and we haven't even announced it. And I mean, maybe this might be the first official oh, announcement. Uh oh, might get in trouble. Yeah. Uh, no, we actually have an online training. Oh shit! Uh, por- uh, program. Oh, being that's launched. Nice. So I yeah. uh, say somebody can't afford to get out to the muster, right. Yeah. Or they can't get to roll call, which roll call is our event that we do for first responders only. Yeah. Uh, it's a one day event, the muster, it's a two day leadership symposium. It's unlike anything else. Yeah. Uh, we have um, muster zero zero seven is in Chicago in may muster zero zero eight is in um, September. That's going to be in Denver, Colorado, and then muster zero zero nine is in Australia in December. Yeah, and so are you doing
1: any roll calls this year?
2: Uh, well, we have two. We have two that we're going to be doing. You know, okay. we did our first one in Dallas. Yeah. and we have two that's coming up, and so. But let's say somebody just can't get to that, or they yeah. can't afford it. Well, guess what we have the online leadership yeah. training program that you can yeah. purchase and go through and, yeah, um awesome. You know, and then we're also able to sell that, you know, we're able to bundle that together and, you know, provide seats for a company. So let's say yeah. you have a company and you understand that, you know, Jock or Relay for JP or Dave coming out and just speaking one time is, is going to be good, but it's not enough, you know, cause that's what we told you. It's not enough. One time hearing it, it's not going to make the difference. Yeah. You know, we'll give you tools and you might apply it, but you, you need that over, you need that consistent message. Yeah. Well, an online program that you can have your guys watch videos, take tests, uh, you know, apply these principles, yeah. you know, join in on webinars and, and, and different calls that we do. Uh, that's powerful.
1: Is that available now? I believe so. <laughs> we're, uh, I mean, this, this, this will actually air fairly soon, but, um, we're, uh, so where can people find you find echelon front if they want to enlist your services um, or just follow. Yeah.
2: Echelonfront.com. E C H E L O N f r o n t dot com, com, uh, and then on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter it's at jp to know,
1: N-N-E-L-L. And if people want to get uh, Echelon Front involved or you uh, to come speak or whatever, just go to Echelon if Front. They
2: go to, uh, yeah. And I think they can send an email to info at echelonfront.com. But if they go to the to the website, it'll have all the information. You'll, okay. you'll be able to see all the other instructors yeah. um, and just kind of what we do. It explains the LDAPs. explains the FTXs. Um, you can go to extremeownership.com. And that has the info on the musters and roll calls. Okay, great. Right. But they're all tied together. You go to one, you'll get to
1: the other one. Yeah, you can find Yeah, it's all, all spider web of connectivity. Yep. Good shit. Um, anything that you want to wanna throw out as, as kind of an alibi?
2: You know, I just want to thank all of our first responders uh, that are out there laying it out on the line. You know, it's funny when people are thanking us for what we do. I'm like, I think about the first responders that do it every day. Yeah. Every day. Like, we deployed a couple times, Right. Those guys have been on a deployment for 18 years. Oh, no. It's just insane. And so our law enforcement and first responders, they a—they they don't get the the support that they deserve. They don't get the funding they deserve. They don't get the training they deserve. But guess what? They make it happen. Yeah. And so I just want to thank them for what they do. Obviously, you want to thank Amanda and my kids for what they do for me they support me being on what we do and uh you know jocko and leif i say it all the time but thank you you know and i love you guys and you know dave and flynn and mike and all those guys they've really made a huge difference in my life in the last two years you know and i I, uh i mean two years ago i was delivering pizzas to make extra money bro yeah it's fucking nuts and now like my life is completely different like my kid you know it's like it's amazing and it's because of those guys of what they've helped me do, you know, and obviously also, you know, my parents and Amanda's parents, I mean, her, her parents are phenomenal. My parents are as well. And, uh, you know, my, my boys out here in Texas, Dan and Steven, like their families have poured into mine, you know, just sacrificed a lot. And like my buddy, Danny, I was telling you about, I mean, yeah. like the, if I'm having, if I'm dealing with stuff, he's like, bro, you need me to come to you. And I'm like, you live in Idaho now, bro. He's like, I don't care. I'll drive. You know, yeah. like, you know, just, I just, the support system I have is insane. Like, yeah. I don't deserve it. Like, I I'll take it. I'll take it all day long. I just look and I yeah. think, I'm like, why, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, everyone at my gym and peak, you know, peak performance, you know, my coach is like... You know, when we started training there guys were like hey you know you knew the area like we got a really good church we go to do you guys want to come to church with us and like just checking in on me like hey man i know you've been on the road for two weeks like does your family need anything does your you know yeah. the wife and kids need anything like you know guys would go you know guys would not gone over and mowed the lawn because i was gone and yeah. made sure like they took the garbage down to the street and brought it back up and i was just like yeah. it's it's unreal It is unreal. I am so lucky. So, I mean, I could sit here and thank everybody forever and we'd be a whole other podcast. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I'm very lucky and very blessed to have the people in my life that I have. And I I mean, I hope someone was able to get one thing out of this. You know, I'm never comfortable doing podcasts. I I just, I I don't, but you seem pretty comfortable with it because I know if somebody can take something from it, it's a hundred percent worth it, Yeah, you know? If somebody goes and gets their levels checked and that changes who they are, awesome. If some veteran decides that they don't need to kill themselves because life gets better, if you just get to work and you get back in the fight and you redefine your mission, it's 100% worth it. I've had veterans reach out to me over the last two years because they listen to different podcasts that I've been on. And I have messages from guys who are like, hey, man, I was going to kill myself this weekend. I listened to your podcast is it okay if we communicate back and forth and i'm like here's my cell phone call yeah. me so if that happens it's 100% worth it yeah. so that's i appreciate right. you having me on here man no, thank
1: you dude i'll tell you it's a it's abs i mean i say it's an honor and a pleasure that that's the type of people i bring on that it is and it is i mean i'm i'm honored to have you on it uh, it is a, an honor and a pleasure having you here and uh, and sharing your story with with me and with us, um, I know you got a busy fucking schedule. It, it is a few hour drive, even living down the street. Texas is fucking huge. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. Um, you know, so I appreciate you taking the time yeah. and and, uh, and sharing everything. And one thing, uh, when you're talking about delivering pizzas, it, it does make me think uh, for everybody out there. Don't take your your pizza guy for granted. He may he may be a trained <laughs> motherfucking killer. You you never know who's delivering your fucking pizza. So oh, that's uh, funny. You, you just never or unclogging your shitter apparently. But yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, before we wrap up, one thing um, that I want to I want to address real quick. I you know I get all these questions about uh, you know the dog. All, everybody always asking me about dog training stuff. Go to teamdog.pet. Sign up for uh, the online training. Uh, that's why I did it. Uh, same reason you guys are. Um, is, is to make it affordable and easy for people to uh, not have to travel and do seminars and, uh, you know, or pay me to come there, you know, for a couple days or whatever, and, and gives you the tools to do it yourself. So, teamdog.pet, 99 bucks a year. Choke yourself if you don't. CBD oil, uh, one announcement on the CBD oil, uh, tricosupplements.com. We do have. Uh, human uh, flavors now Uh, so we have 200 milligram chicken still uh, but we've got 500 milligram lemon lime and 500 milligram key lime one of them is an isolate the other is uh, full spectrum so if you are a government employee go with the isolate Uh, if you are not, uh, and, and you're okay with the trace amounts of THC, then do the full spectrum. But those are available now. We've had people been asking us for a long time. Uh, we finally have those online and they are for sale currently. So check that out. You can give that stuff to your dogs. Also, uh, one of the recommendations I'd make to people is just put it on their food, um, put it in a treat or or whatever but uh, the key lime or lemon lime uh, they're fine with that also because we've had some people with chicken allergies and some weird responses to that Uh, and most people don't like having chicken liver flavored CBD oil under their tongue weird so I I enjoy it I'm a twisted fuck I guess but uh, at any rate those are the two announcements I have last but certainly not least again I'd like to thank you for coming Uh, and ultimately the listener. Uh, If not for you guys, I always want to end the show on thanking you guys because you are the reason that I do this uh, and have the platform to be able to bring guys like JP on. So thank you to you guys. You guys keep crushing it. Uh, Enjoy your days. Hope you got something out of this. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.